get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I was surprised because the Cardinals had such ample depth to trade for a catcher when you think about major league ready young controllable talent and the prospect depth you think okay well we, it makes sense that they go for a trade and over the past few years John Mozeliak's biggest acquisitions have come in the form of a trade so just looking at history it seemed natural that that would be the route that they go needs from all different parties it seems pretty clear that the Cardinals thought Contreras would be their best overall asset for multiple reasons and they went and got him Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Katie Wu on with us yesterday. If you missed our conversation with her, be sure to check out the full thing over on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. She was surprised by the Cardinals decision to sign Wilson Contreras and to forego the trade market for Danny Jansen and Sean Murphy, the catcher from the Blue Jays and the A's respectively. Alex, we got some more information on this yesterday. This comes from Derek Gould's reporting over in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. If you haven't read his piece on what led to the decision for the Cardinals to sign Wilson Contreras, I think it's a must-read for all Cardinals fans. It is well worth your time. And he has reporting on what the asking prices were from the A's for Murphy and from the Blue Jays for Danny Jansen. We gave our initial impression on what we thought of the Contreras signing yesterday. We were all in favor of it. We liked it. The money was reasonable. And now that you see the costs for these other guys that are getting signed, I think it seems more than reasonable what the Cardinals were able to sign him for. Now that we know what the Cardinals were being asked for Murphy and Jansen, which by the way, in return for Sean Murphy, the A's were asking for Lars Newtbar, Brendan Donovan, and a power pitching prospect, Gould named specifically Gordon Graceffo as somebody that would have fit into that category. Those three, Newt, Donovan, and Graceffo for Sean Murphy. That was the A's asking price. In return for Danny Jansen from the Blue Jays, it was a either Ryan Helsley-centered package for Danny Jansen or a large new bar package for Danny Jansen. For me, Alex, when I saw these packages and what teams were asking for in return for their catchers, I am now fully on board. Could not be more on board with the decision to sign Wilson Contreras instead and to forego that trade market. I also would not have met those asking prices. When you saw what the asking prices were, what was your reaction? Everybody, golf clap. Golf clap for John Mozeliak. Because we're that, all happy with Lil Mo today. He just uh, he he hit a uh, he hit an eagle on a par five. Wow! Oh damn! Yeah, 
Right? Good day. That's a great day because these asking prices are absurd. Like, let's start with Danny Jansen. Goggles. We all know I love goggles. Offensively, he is not a catcher that is a upgrade over losing Lars Newtbar if you decide to trade him in this package and knowing and fully knowing that you're not going to be signing one of these shortstops now that we know what the asking price is, with the exception of maybe Dansby Swanson, but I don't think that offense makes you better, and you're giving up Lars Newtbar or you're giving up Ryan Helsley. So I don't think the cost meets the means there for Danny Jansen. Now, Sean Murphy, looking at that package, it's a lot, and I don't think I would be happy about the initial look of it, but if they were able to go out there and sign one of the catchers, you could look at that and say, you know what, it might have been worth it there. But I still think that is an expensive cost for how much they're relying on Lars Newtbar. Brennan Donovan is essentially going to be your second baseman when Nolan Gorman can't play at that position with the uh, inability to shift. And I mean, Graceffo's Graceffo. I don't really care about when you're giving up prospects in this circumstance. But both of these asking prices, I don't think justifies what you would have been giving up for it when all you had to do was just throw money, reasonable amount of money, at Wilson Contreras. And a second round pick at $500,000 in international signing money, just for cool. what it's worth. I, I do think that sometimes gets overlooked because that's not nothing. Cool, but I'm but with that, you. that second round draft pick is like the egg emoji on Twitter. You know it's a uh, you know it's somebody trying to troll you right now with two followers. I'm not worried about the second round pick a couple of years ago, I do believe. Worked out all right. We don't know how good he truly is yet. Did it? Did you see some of the scouts analysis on Mason Wynn? I'm I'm just saying, it it is not nothing, but I I do agree with you. Compared to what you would have been giving up for one of these catchers, again, I'm in full agreement. But you're not, though. You're arguing with me. No, you just, I, I think sometimes people say all you had to give up for Wilson Contreras was money. No, not totally true. Second round pick as well. Do you get a first round pick still? Yeah. Okay, well then hit on the first round pick. I'm with you. Keep the devil's advocate to yourself, <laughs> sir. Tanner, where do you stand on Goodness. it? Yeah, I, I I think they made the right decision to go on the Contreras because I think both Murphy was too expensive. I, you know, if it was a new bar and Graceffo deal, maybe I have more interest. But once you start throwing in a third name that has five years club control, six years club control, and Brendan, Brendan Donovan, I, I just don't think that's a reasonable asking price for Sean Murphy. Again, I think he's a good player, but I said this all offseason leading up to this point where – I thought it was going to be too expensive for the Cardinals' water because I, I think they would have been willing to move on from someone that had some major league experience like a Lars Newpar and maybe one pitching prospect. Once you throw in a third name in there with more club control, I, I think that's when it pulls the Cardinals out of it. And then if they're sold on Lars Newpar, which they are, the way they've been talking about him at the winter meetings, I understand their willingness not to go get Danny Jansen. And I kind of agree with Alex. You know, I'm not sure how much you're truly upgrading the offense because one you're pulling out a left-handed bat that has some pop in it as we've seen those guys are going for a pretty big commodity in the free agent market this year and you're getting Danny Jansen who though his offensive numbers were good last year is that really who he is there's more questions on Danny Jansen because that was a career year for him I'm not sure if that's truly who Danny Jansen is I could see him regressing back towards uh, more of the norm than what he was last year so I I and I wouldn't have traded Helsley in any package for Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk just because I think he's such a weapon at the back end of the bullpen and this bullpen has very limited swing and miss stuff in it right now uh, so I, I think they made the right decision in going with the Wilson Contreras right and he was really the only free agent that made sense I Christian Vasquez wasn't going to augment the offense and be that protection that they were looking for and as you said if, when you look at some of the free agent deals that have been signed I mean he's looking like a really good 
deal right now. He fit right in about where the market was, 15 to 20 mil. We kind of thought where he was going to be. He ended up at the $17.5 million range. Got next year than we were expecting, but that was probably to drag it down compared to what all the other free agent deals that have been signed, where it's like, whoa, that's not what we expected. I think the Cardinals made the right decision. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show. Gets questions and answers coming up at 1145. By the way, Joey Vitale joins the show in about 20 minutes or so from the 573. Guys, the Blue Jays asking for Ryan Helsley is hilarious. Now, Behind the scenes, me and Tanner have gone back and forth about this probably 15 different times. There was a fist fight earlier today. It, it almost came to fisticuffs. And I, apparently, me and Alex are about to come to fisticuffs as well. Here That's because a, you always got to bring the devil's advocate side of this into it. And you know what, man? Just keep it to your damn self. Yeah, you draft pick lover. Buzz Killington over here. My God. Next thing you know, he's going to say, well, Thomas Christ should start tonight. Yeah, he's starting tonight. Oh, come um, on. I I would not have traded Ryan Helsley for Danny Jansen. Full stop. I would have considered trading Ryan Helsley for Alejandro Kirk. I'm not sure that I would have done it, but I value relievers a little bit differently, I think, than a lot of people do. I sell high on them. This is what the Rays have done for a decade, and more often than not, it works out really well for them. If you've got a reliever that is absolutely dominant and has that kind of value where you can get an everyday player in Alejandro Kirk, who is like 20% above league average offensively and can start, let's say, 80, 85 games for you behind the plate as well. I would have given serious thought to trading Ryan Helsley for him because I think you could have replaced Helsley, maybe not one for one, but got a good closer on the open market. And then you've got a catcher making $3 million and you've got money still to be able to spend left over. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but that's how I would have viewed it. I don't think it was a crazy ask if it was Kirk. I do think it was a crazy ask for Danny Jansen because I don't value him the same way. That being said, the guy that it seems like everybody was interested in this offseason, including the Cardinals, they are very clearly building around him now, is Lars Newpar. So somebody from the 618 asks this. Hey guys, what's the deal with Lars Newpar? He had a couple of decent months and now he seems to be a savior. I would have made that deal. What am I missing? I'm with you, Texture. Lars Newpar to me, maybe this is overstating it a bit. I think he's one of the most interesting players in all of baseball right now. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at his advanced numbers, the stuff that teams are now basing a lot of decisions upon, he's like a creative player. He's athletic. I turn these guys into 99 overall superstars when I create them. He's a very good defensive outfielder. He can play center field. He hits left-handed in a day and age where left-handed hitters are more valuable maybe than they have been at any point in the last 15 years. He's, He's got a strong leadoff too. He can bat leadoff. He can bat at the top of your order. He can bat in the heart of your order. And if he ends up working out to like the 90th percentile outcome, he's a legit all-star caliber outfielder that you could have every day in your outfield that hits both left and right-handed pitching. And oh, by the way, he's 25 years old and has like five years left of club control. He's going to be super cheap for the next three or four years at a minimum. And he's still developing. So why is he like a guy that you potentially build around for all of those reasons that I just mentioned? That being said, he essentially has like a three month stretch where he's been good in the major leagues. He was not a top prospect. He was a guy that was not selected in like the top five rounds of the draft. He was an eighth round draft pick four years ago. So there's inherent risk in building around a guy like this. Was it just a a hot stretch? where he walked really well, he walked a bunch and hit the ball really hard for one season and now it reverts back to form in 2023. It's very much in play. We don't know what the future holds for Lars Newbar. 
but his like his upside is an all-star level outfielder that can play center or can play either of the two corner spots. And if you need him to might even be able to DH for you occasionally. So that's the upside case. That's why the Cardinals are sticking with him, in my opinion. Part of me wonders if it's a case of John Mozeliak still with the yips of trading away a young outfielder that they think has potential like Randy Rosarena. The other side of this, though, is I think that the Cardinals view that there is so much uncertainty with their outfield. They want numbers this season. They want a lot of guys for three positions. And if somebody doesn't work, well, then next man up. Like it's the internal competition conversation that we talk about a lot. You've got O'Neill, you've got Carlson, you've got Newt Bar, you've got Yepes, you've got Burleson, you've got Jordan Walker. It's six guys that we're, that we're talking about there, not even including Brendan Donovan, who can play out there. You think Nolan Gorman can play out there. Maybe. And if you want to throw Tommy Edmond out there, which I don't think he's your shortstop now. You wouldn't do that, but you'd put Nolan Gorman I mean, out there. Tommy Edmond's your everyday shortstop. He's a very, very, very right. good shortstop. But I... As much as it would make sense to me to, to trade Lars Newbar to get a Sean Murphy who's making $3 million and you could bring him in and he's controllable for the next few years and you've got both in this, you also don't know what else you were going to be improving your club with because these shortstops obviously were very expensive for you. And I truly wonder if the Cardinals are still uncertain with their outfield. And right now, the only certainty to them might be Lars Newbar as an everyday outfielder. Yeah, and see, I, I just disagree with that assessment. I, I'm not sure he's going to end up. I can understand the, well, if you look at his ceiling, I, I'm just not sold on that he's going to hit that ceiling that the Cardinals are projecting for. That what BK mentioned that if he hits the 90th percentile and everything, he's a all-star outfielder. I, I think he's a solid outfielder. I'm not saying Lars Nupar is a bad player, but I haven't seen it enough to where I can sell myself on, yeah, he's a guy I want to build the outfield around. Like I, I view him like if you were to ask me what would be your projection right now for Lars Nupar, guy that ends up being the fourth outfielder for the Cardinals and he's probably the guy that Jordan Walker takes his spot in the starting lineup in the outfield by the time you get to whether it be May, June, whenever Walker gets up here I, I'm just not as sold as high on Lars Newpar and we were talking about this in the office when was the last time the Cardinals used a position player that you hadn't seen a whole lot of have go on a two month hot stretch and then try to build around him in terms of the outfielder or just go in the case of yeah he's now going to be an everyday outfielder fourth I can't remember the last time they did it and and also with the advocate of he wasn't a top prospect it's it's hard to find someone of that ilk that the Cardinals are now to look back on as a reference point so maybe that's part of my concern is I can't remember it ever happening before maybe I just don't like the uncharted water so maybe that's where my hesitancy comes in but I I would have been willing to sell high on Lars Nupar just kind of as the same perspective of BK having the idea of we'll sell high on a reliever I would have sold high on Lars Nupar because I'm just not sure he can reach the ceiling that the Cardinals are showing the that they think he can get to I I think that's totally fair I, I think both sides are reasonable here and I know that's a bad opinion to have on sports talk radio but yeah, man, that's what we do. I really do understand both perspectives if you're not as high on Lars Nupar as the Cardinals appear to be I get it there's a there's a bull, both bear and bull case for Lars Newtbar this offseason. And the fun part is we get to find out who was right. Like if the Cardinals end up being wrong on this, they're probably going to regret not making one of these deals. If Lars Newtbar is what Tanner thinks and he's a fourth outfielder, you should have traded him right now because his his in that scenario, value will never be higher than it is right now. But if they end up being right, and even if he's not an all-star level player, but He's like a guy that hits 260, gets on base 35% of the Carlson time. Carlson was two years ago. Maybe a little bit but more. But better. Yeah. A, a better version of Dylan Carlson who can play center field for you. I mean, that's a super valuable commodity. You like having that guy in your outfield every single day, especially while he's cheap and young. So 
I totally understand why they balked at that asking price. I also would have probably balked at this asking price, given the fact that Donovan was also involved with it. If you trade those two guys, who's hitting at the top of this order on opening day? I genuinely don't know the answer to that. You probably would have. It would have been required that you had to go out there and sign Brandon Nimmo. I know that it was talked about that they would potentially get in on the shortstop market. I think they need a, a center fielder in, in that situation because I'm not convinced that Dylan Carlson's going to be an everyday center fielder for them. So that that's the way that I probably would have viewed it. Um, but I'm glad they decided not to make that move. So where do you pivot now? They're no longer in on the shortstop market. We can go ahead and write that off. I don't think they're going to make another significant high salary type of addition. So what are they going to do? With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk about the next pivot next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I know they have a couple of young swingmen in terms of Andre Palante and Zach Thompson. You know, maybe Matthew Libertor, if he can show some growth in the spring. But I think what the Cardinals are looking at is some flexibility in terms of adding to their rotation, but also bolstering their bullpen at the same time. Uh, I know you have guys like Dakota Hudson and Drew Verhagen, but those are names that, you know, based on their 2022 performance, fans aren't necessarily optimistic about. Uh, I think if you're looking at what the Cardinals are looking to attract next, they're going to go ahead and look at maybe potentially bolstering their pitching with a swingman relief option. That was Katie Wu yesterday talking about what's next for the Cardinals in this offseason. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, she believes that they are going to look for one of those players that, hey, depending on the situation, if you have a full uh, allotment of your rotation going into the season, they probably start the year in the bullpen. Or if you have somebody go down or they're ineffective, they could eventually become one of those starters. I think that makes a lot of sense for the team, given where they're at right now. I don't, it, barring something unforeseen with the trade market, I'm not sure the Cardinals are going to be getting in on this crazy market for starting pitching. I mean, I, I've heard some people bring up uh, Chris Bassett, he's going to get like $20 million per year on a five-year deal. That's not a likely. swing, man. That's a that's a rotation. Yeah, and like getting one of those top-end starters, Carlos Rodon, it's going to cost you 20 to $30 million on a per-year basis. I'd be pretty surprised if the Cardinals end up getting into that market. And they're not handing out two contracts this offseason of five or more years. So it's too dangerous. Instead, what I think they could look into is the following types of players. Don't get too lost in the names, but these are the types of players that I think they could be in on. Michael Lorenzen, former pitcher for the Reds. Last year, he was with the Angels, had a pretty good season, started 18 games for them. He's been in a bullpen previously, had about a 4-2 ERA, but his peripherals were good. Matt Moore was in the bullpen last year for Texas and was unbelievable after previously being a starter for the vast majority of a season, had a 1.95 ERA for the Rangers in 63 innings. Now, he might end up being more expensive than what the Cardinals are looking for, but I think he makes a lot of sense for the type of player they're looking for. Rich Hill could potentially be somebody of interest to them. He's kind of retire yet? Not yet. He's kind of on the lower end of my list, but maybe you end up getting somebody like that. The guy that I think makes the most sense for them is Michael Fulmer, who was with Detroit for the last few years, but spent a little bit of last year in Minnesota after the trade deadline. Has about a 3.3 ERA over the last two seasons. Garrett Richards is one other guy that maybe you throw out there, but those first four names, Fulmer, 
uh, Rich Hill, Matt Moore, Michael Lorenzen. I think that's the kind of market that they're probably going to be shopping in, Alex. And I like all those names with the exception of Rich Hill because I think Rich Hill, you could call He'd him be last on my list. You could call him a swing man, but I think all he is is he's a sixth guy for a rotation. An old man. And I, I don't think he really is useful for you out of the bullpen. I'll, I, I would rather have Andre Pallante than him. I'd rather have Dakota Hudson than him. Sure. I, I think that's fair. And that's why the other three, I, I, I would be all in. For, Michael Lorenzen is the guy that I brought up at the trade deadline last year. That's a guy that I probably would have at the top of my list. I like Matt Moore because he was lethal. And Michael Fulmer's always been a guy that I've kind of brought up ever since he was dominant with Detroit. But all three of these guys can be used in multiple ways. If you need somebody to get a start, well, guess what? You got it from him, and he can give you five really good innings. Or if you need somebody who can be a sixth inning guy or maybe somebody who jumps into one of those late inning roles if an injury pops up, they're all utility weapons for you as a pitcher. And I would be on board with all three of these, and I think that's still a really good offseason if you're able to pull the trigger on one of these guys. Yeah, the two guys that stand out to me would be Michael Fulmer. He would definitely be number one. I agree on that. And then the second one would be Michael Lorenzen because those guys have been solid when as a starter and as a bullpen arm. I'm actually out on the Matt Moore idea just because... I think that's crazy. I don't understand why you would be out on him. Because when I look at his baseball reference page and I see a whole bunch of really bad years and then he puts together one, to me that is just a signal of I'm not buying into it. I'll let another team buy into it. he was a starter and now he's a reliever and he's become a good player because of that. We've see seen, how we've, I felt in the last segment? We've I seen know, failed starters become good relievers. I just think that when a guy has a 1.9 ERA and every single peripheral tells you that he was awesome last year, there might be something there. I, I, There's a lot of red on Matt Moore, T-Bone. I know, you're but look, the at one that goes on look at 2021. Look at 2021. Well, I'm not worried about 2021. Yeah, I'm worried about 2022. He started 13 games in 2021. I, I just don't buy into the bou- bounce back year of Matt Moore. I, I think players can always put together one just incredible year, and it's a matter of separating whether... Dude, whether this guy's whiff rate is 8. I know. I'm sorry, man. You're crazy. I'm out out on Matt Moore. I'll live and die on this hill. I would not sign Matt Moore. I I don't. One, I don't think they need another lefty in the in the bullpen. And two, I I just I'm not sold on that. Who Matt Moore is? I I think it's more likely stuff out of your bullpen. I think it's more likely you bring in Matt Moore. It's going to be a contract, even if it's one year. And I know I've said this before. If it's a one year deal, okay, fine. I would be in on it because you can get out of a one year deal. I think it's a contract that you look back on and go, oh, what the hell? He was terrible for us this year. We're going to have to cut bait with him. I think it's more likely Matt Moore goes back down that path. I can see BK's got a little sad grin on his face. It's okay, man. No, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's okay. I, we just disagree. That's okay. Um, I, I think that the other problem is he might be expensive. I, I don't know what Matt Moore is going to end up getting, but everybody, all the teams have the data that Alex is looking at right now that has him going nuts. That, that's what I was looking into this morning as I was trying to find a guy that makes some sense. Man, I thought that list you were going to get me player. sucked, but that's a really good list, man. Yeah, I mean, Lorenzen, Moore, and Fulmer would probably be the three. If you're taking into account what the cost is and what they're likely to get in the market, I think Fulmer is the guy that makes the most sense, him or Lorenzen. But if Matt Moore ends up kind of sneaking through the cracks because – teams maybe have the same concept of what Tanner does there. He'd be a guy on a one year prove it type of a deal where you could, you say, okay, come prove it once again. And if you do, you're probably going to get a like 15 plus million dollar per year deal for somebody to be a dominant bullpen arm. That would be something that I'm interested in. I'm trying to decide which one's more important. Like, and I know these are swingments; they could do both, but which one's more important for this team to have somebody who could be in your rotation or a bullpen arm and then fill in. I think it's the bullpen arm more than anything. Because, and I'm not expecting any of these guys to be a sixth, seventh, eighth inning guy, but like Andre Pallante can be the guy that starts a couple of games here and there. He did it for you. 
I think it'd be more crucial to have somebody in that role that you say, hey, we need some some electricity from you out of this bullpen, and that's where late in games, if you need to use them in the spot, that's why I like Lorenzen more or, or uh, Fulmer more. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. If you guys have any questions about the Cardinals offseason, where it's going to go from here, or the Blues, we'll get into those coming up at 1145. But next, Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, we'll get his perspective on Thomas Grice making another start tonight for the Blues. What's he make of it? We'll ask Joey next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on Thursdays to be joined by our friend and the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. You hear him on pregame. You hear him on the call for Blues versus Jets tonight. He's Joey Vitale joining us here on the show. Joey, how you doing? Man? Joey, Joey, Joey. Ah, What's up, boys? Always, always love, always love the intro, guys. Appreciate it. How you guys doing? Uh, we're doing great. So the news coming out of Blues Morning Skate is that Thomas Grice is going to be in net tonight for the team. What do you make of the decision, Joey? It looks like Craig Berube said he's, quote, going with Grice because he won three in a row and Bennington needs a reset more than anything. Yeah, you know, a couple things. A couple things stand out about this. You know, I think that you know they've they've tried going back to the starter in Bennington, even though there's been a struggle, which I think is really beneficial at times. You know, I play with Mike Smith, who had his duties of games, and Dave Tippett was huge about going right back with the starter. You're the starter. Go figure it out, right? I think that's certainly a huge part of it. But then the other side of it, though, too, is Craig Burby has done that, and maybe it hasn't quite worked out the way he thought it would. So if you go back to the starter and you have that mindset that you're our guy, go get it. And it's still not going that well. And then, then you, then you kind of pivot to, to plan B, which is all right, well now you got to go earn your spot back. Right. And that's, that's the motivation that's kicking in the rear end. I think it's going to be now for Jordan Bennington as he sees his, his net temporarily, which I think it will be temporarily, but it's taken over by the backup and Thomas Grice. So hopefully it lights a fire in Bennington. It does get him a reset, sit on the bench for a couple watch, get back to the mechanics and just get back to that hunker of what he had earlier this season, because, you know, he hasn't necessarily been playing bad, but he has looked very human. I think we could all agree to that. He'd be the first one to tell you that. And the other thing I'll say about the the decision too, and is that, you know, Thomas Grice's first game was against Winnipeg in Winnipeg. Now the blues ended up dropping that game, but that was maybe the best performance. I think Thomas Grice has played as a St. Louis blue member. You know, again, so you take the loss, but, you know, you know creeping up on 50 shots was that game, and, and he was spectacular through about two and a half periods, and then he just didn't really have anything left. So you look at the opponent tonight and the team top in the Central Division with everything going on with Bennington, I think it's the right call. Joe, I, I know it's still December, and I know people have already jumped on that panic bus, but how important are these next three games if you're Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong? Three games against the Central Division. All three teams that you're playing in this next stretch are all sitting above you in the Central Division. Well, you know, points, certainly is your point, Alex. Points are going to be very, very important here. I mean, uh, as you find yourself out of the playoff picture, um, you're still in a good spot. You know, we all saw the news of Colorado losing McKinnon. There are teams that right now the reality is you can catch. You know, if you look at these next stretch of games before Christmas. So certainly from a points perspective, these are going to be big. You know, I talk a lot about the goal differential. Like the Blues are sitting now at minus 21. They made up some ground there the other day versus the Islanders. Again, 
keep creeping up in there and trying to get back in the plus column is going to be important throughout the next couple weeks as well. But I think the biggest thing, you look at these next few games against the Central Division, you're going to see Doug Armstrong is going to have a really good idea of where this team stacks up now in this division. They talk about the first quarter of the season, teams trying to you know figure, figure their way out, figure their way into the season, you know, get rid of the summer hockey, get rid of the cobwebs. But around that kind of 25-game mark, you kind of have an idea of what you are. Well, the Blues are beyond that now. They, they are beyond that quarter part of the season. They are kind of who they are. And now we're about to find out who this team is when you stack them up against not only the Central Division, but some of the better teams now in the Central Division, starting with the Winnipeg Jets here tonight. So when you talk about decisions being made, what direction is this team going to go in, I think they're going to have a really good idea starting tonight, building into Colorado, and then definitely Nashville on Monday on how this team will stack up, let's say, at the playoffs or to begin today in the Central Division. Joey, I, I am curious, what, what is, who is a guy that you could identify that you'd say, hey, for the Blues to get it going more offensively, who do you think needs to step up? Who's that guy that would come to mind for you? I mean, listen, I know it's probably not the answer that is, um, you know, undercover. Or... It's Vladimir Tarasenko. You know, you, you need your sniper to get going more consistently than he is now. And he's still doing well. Don't get me wrong. But, but last year, there was something about his game where whenever the game turned on its side or the team needed something, it would be the flick of a wrist and it was in the back of the net. And, and that's kind of what we're missing right now from Vladdy as consistently as I think they probably need him to be. You know, 80-plus points last year. I think right now he can start making, some, uh, making up some ground and start making a little bit more hay as far as getting those crucial goals and crucial times of the game. You know, I think it was 41 games, I believe the stat was, maybe 42 now, that he, games he's played without a power play goal. So not only goals, but, but power play goals. Special teams last year, guys, you remember this. It won us and, and it won us a lot of games. And now right now, the special teams on the flip side it has now lost the Blues a lot of games. And to me, to turn that around, it's twofold. Of course, we talk about the penalty kill a lot, and that's certainly got an area that's got to clean up on for sure. But the second one is the power play. That power play won you games last year. And not right now, I only think maybe maybe four to five games, maybe, I would say that the power plays won you games, maybe only two to three, actually, now I think about it. But that, you can say that power play won you that game. And right now, because of that, and Vladimir Tarasenko not scoring a lot of power play goals, that is probably one of the biggest areas. I think if the Blues can get a little bit of jump, a little bit of jolt from him, especially on the power play, it really could turn your season around. It's an interesting way to look at it. Yes, according to ESPN stats, at least their official stats, zero power play goals so far on the season. Hey, Joey, we appreciate the time as always. We'll be listening to you and Alex tonight on the pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. And, of course, you and Curbs starting at 7 for puck drop. Blues versus the Jets. Always appreciate the time. We'll talk with you again next week, my man. It sounds good, boys. You guys have a great week now. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. Man, I hadn't even thought about that. Zero power play goals on the season for Vladimir Tarasenko. That almost seems impossible. Like just by being on the ice, you'd think at some point one would go in for him. He has zero on the year. O'Reilly has one on the season so far. Uh, Braden Shin has one on the season thus far as well. Yeah, the power play has really been Krug, Buchnevich, and, and Kairou. Kairou. That's been your power play. And the scary part is not just Vladdy, Brandon Saad. Brandon Saad, I mean, yeah, he was zero. a power play guy for you last season, and he's not really getting anything going right now. So 
Uh, that's part of the biggest issue right now with this power play is you got a bunch of guys that are trying to figure it out, but until it starts clicking, this team's going to be in a tough spot because you're relying so much on even strength. And although you scored all of your goals at even strength in that last game in the victory, you still have been towards the middle, if not the bottom half of the league on power. Yeah, you've been one of the best or worst teams, excuse me, in the league so far this year at five on five as well. So when you're putting so much pressure on that five on five play and you're not performing there, it it ends up not going well most of the season. From Luke Korak, Buchnevich not ready to go at this point. Barubi said that he is day to day right now, so no real update there. Barubi adding that uh, Tory Krug needs some practices to be sure of his status. He could be in play. So uh, Tory Krug is for everybody is practicing right now. Needs a little bit more time. Sounds like he is closer to a return than Pavel Buchnevich. Good news is they get two days off after this before they go back to back with Colorado and Nashville. So the hope is that he's good to go for Colorado. And for for Krug, it sounds like this is not going to be a long term issue for him. If he's back up practice, it's at least something that. He could be back sooner rather than Buchnevich later. Buchnevich is the one that's concerning if he said he still needs some time. But the, I guess the good news, if you want to get good news out of that, is they didn't announce he's out for an extended period of time. So it sounds like it's day-to-day, but I think day-to-day is kind of what it was at the beginning of the season where he missed about five or six games. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the superstar market means that you got to be willing to be completely illogical right now in Major League Baseball. There's at least one team that's more than happy to do exactly that. We'll tell you about it coming up in 15 minutes. Questions and answers coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers from the three one four BK. Can you please explain to me why it is and how it is that the Vikings are underdogs this weekend against the Lions? And are you planning on betting on this? So I've been saying this all year long. Hold on, they're asking you for betting advice. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing they're trying to fade it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> That's smart. If we're being honest here. If you're going to do that, Texter, uh, please use the hashtag FadeBK so we know. That's fair. I get that. There is a statistic. It is called net yards per play. This is essentially like goal differential, but for yards per play, right? So how many yards on average do you give up per play? How many yards on average do you gain? Per play. It's very simple. It sounds more complex than it actually is. But it's something that a lot of like odds makers will use. If you look at net yards per play, the Vikings' closest similarities on the year are the Patriots, the Packers, and the Jaguars. It's not great. The Lions are ahead of them. The Saints, for example, are ahead of them. The Raiders are ahead of them. So far this year, if you just look at more of the advanced numbers, the Vikings have not been particularly good. They have been very fortunate, I'm not saying lucky, fortunate in their one score games. And as a result, their record is significantly inflated from what it probably should be. This year, the one score games that they have won include 
the Lions, the Saints, the Chicago Bears, the Miami Dolphins, the Arizona Cardinals, the Washington Commanders, the the Buffalo Bills, the New England Patriots, and last week against the Jets. They've won nine one-score games this season. I saw something, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, where if you were to flip all the one-score games, the Vikings would have one win this year. Correct. It was week one against the Green Bay Packers. It's the only game that they've played so far this year where they won that was not a one-score game. This is why I'm not buying into the Vikings. Like, the Vikings are a good team, and they've got playmakers, but when when, when, when push comes to shove, they're not walking away with the victory that matters most. The Lions have also quietly had a really good pass defense over the last few weeks. Now, some of that is probably the opponents that they got up against they got uh the buffalo bills when josh allen was working through his elbow issue they got the giants and the bears in the packers none of whom have particularly good weapons on the outside so some of that has to be thrown in there i think i would actually take the viking side of things here just because i'm not sure how much i believe in the lions but i get why the line is the way that it is it just looks weird because th- of the records i think i'm leaning more towards the lions just because like I know people don't believe in momentum and it doesn't benefit you in betting, but when the way that the Lions have been playing and the way that the Vikings have been playing, I mean, that's a team that's been on their uh, on their heels a lot more than they've been on their toes, where the Vi- the Lions have been on their toes a lot. It does feel like a trap to take the Vikings here. It does. It does. I, I still would lean. Maybe this will make the texture feel more. Co- college? No, that ain't a word. Uh, comfortable. Because I'm the guy that's definitely been the best in our pick'em challenge. Yeah, please. I, I would take the Lions in this one. I the Vikings do factor. Never use that in betting, but they're due for a loss. And with all these one-score games, and Detroit's played really well. I thought uh, last week against Jacksonville, they would put up a that would be a shootout, and they really held Jacksonville in check for a big chunk of that game. And they've got a decent passing offense, so I would say take the Lions. And Kirk Cousins has not looked good the last couple. If of weeks. there's a team that I'm believing in around the NFL, that's going to be really good in a couple of years i think the lions might be towards the top of that list gotta get the quarterback if you can get the quarterback with the amount of draft picks that they have because the rams suck so much they might be in a really good position for that i wonder if they try trading some of those for future picks this year the reason why i say that is because quarterback this year next year i don't like this quarterback class man even with like stroud being available i'm not interested the only one that i'm kind of interested in is uh bryce young and I don't know what his ceiling is. I think he's going to be okay. He kind of screams Zach Wilson to me. Oh, see, he screams Tua. I think he's better than that. He screams Tua. That's. uh, I know it's the easy comp because they played in the same. Yeah, but it's unpredictability more why I'm going with that comp. He's just so small, Mm -hmm. and and that scares me a little bit. I'll be honest with you guys, but I I think he'll be good. Is Hooker going into the draft this year? Yeah. I don't know what he is either. either. I, I would want Caleb Wilson. Caleb Wilson? Williams? Caleb Williams, Williams, excuse me. See, I uh, like from USC. I like I, Stroud. I, think he's I like Stroud. I think Stroud's going to be he really makes me good. Nervous. Well, every damn quarterback makes me nervous. I think that's fair. Six five seven eight zero zero. Cut for service. Text line from the three one four. Guys, does the five year contract mean that the Cardinals have lost confidence that Ivan Herrera is the next catcher? Ivan Herrera. Why am I struggling today? Well, it could be Ivan. You don't know. Ivan. It's Ivan. It might be Ivan. Have they lost confidence in Ivan Herrera? In your opinion, I don't think they've lost confidence in him i just think they they need an answer now like believe it or not with this team which hey we're playing that later on today look at us t-bone they 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 do recognize that their winning window is opening up now and i know people will push back and say well then why aren't you spending like the other teams but i think they recognize that like hey we've got a team that we need to be competing with now and Herrera is not ready to do that. And Kisner's not going to do that. So we need to get a guy who can do that. And the reason you, I think they wanted the Sean Murphy where it was only three years. And then you can put Herrera in the spot after those three years are up. If he's ready, 
but you're not getting him because of the trade. And, and Contreras is sitting there, and you had to get him to get that the 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 AAV down. So I, I just I don't know if they've lost confidence. I would imagine probably in two years Herrera might be backing up Contreras, and then they see if he's ready to take the reins. But they know they got to win now, and that's why they went Contreras's route. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I, I don't think they've lost confidence in Herrera. I I think they're slow playing. I don't want to say slow playing, but they're taking it slow with his development because you don't want to rush a catcher's development. And, and to me, catchers, I know that you've got some guys that will break the scene like uh, the catcher in Baltimore. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Hut- Adley. Adley, yeah. There's a couple of guys that are going to be really solid players that will be up quickly in the big leagues. Most catchers, as we've seen, the crop of catcher core across Major League Baseball is not great, and those guys need time to develop. You need to play them slowly, develop them slowly, kind of like NHL teams do with goaltending, in my opinion. You want to take your time in developing a catcher because there's a lot to learn with managing a pitching staff and also working on your offensive game. He's trying to work on that balance. So I, I think in t- I agree with Alex. I think in two, three years, he'll be up here, and he'll be the backup, and they'll move on from Kisner. Kisner, I think his development has reached his ceiling where he's just a solid backup for you, and then he can backup and we've talked about it Contreras is not going to be a Yadier Molina catching 120 to 130 games I think their ideal goal is by year three for this contract Contreras is splitting time behind the plate with Herrera and taking on more of a DH role or playing somewhere else in the field and it's a really good comp by T-Bone for the goaltending there because like it's rare to see NHL teams throw a goaltender and be the number one guy right away they come up and they're a backup for a year behind somebody to learn it's the backup quarterback too sometimes you bring them up so that they can work behind the guy who's the number one and then when they're ready to take it over that's when you transition into it I mean just look at the guys that the Cardinals were interested in this offseason Wilson Contreras didn't become an everyday catcher for the Cubs until 2017 when he was 25 years old. Sean Murphy did not become an everyday catcher for the A's until last season. He was 26 years old. Von Herr is 22. He is still an incredibly young prospect. He'll be 23 years old next year. He could wait another three years to become a like regular catcher for the Cardinals. And that would be right in line with the guys that the Cardinals were looking at this offseason as a potential catcher option for them. So I wouldn't worry about this at all. I would say that you're you're in a pretty good spot with Yvonne Herrera. He might be used as trade bait like that's in play as well. Maybe they end up going with somebody else as their catcher of the future. They decide that it's better use of their resources. But no, I, I wouldn't say that they're out on him by any stretch. Alex, this one's for you. Final question here for questions and answers at 65780 from the 314. Hey, guys, I remember you talked about PRV a lot as a potential trade target during the offseason. I was wondering if you saw what he said yesterday and if you would still have any interest as a potential buy low candidate. If you missed these uh, quotes from Puyarvi, he basically said like he's lost all of his confidence. He has, I think, one goal so far mm-hmm. on the season uh, for the Oilers. Alex, would you be interested in him at this point as a potential buy low candidate? I absolutely would. I think Puliyarvi falls into the category of a guy who needs a change of scenery. It's a guy who's playing on a team that has a lot of high expectations. He was a guy who was drafted third overall, who also has a lot of high expectations, and he just hasn't performed up to him. And Edmonton is not a... It's not an easy place to go in and play and live up to the potential. And if you don't believe them, ask everyone else who has tried to do that. And Taylor Hall and Nugent Hopkins and Nail Yakupov, they've done it with all of these guys. Some guys can live up to it. Some guys can't. If they're just dangling Puliyarvi to try and get rid of him because he's not happy there and he's not working well, I would absolutely look into this because... Give them to a team that a coach can instill confidence in their players. And Craig Bruby's done that with tons of guys. 
And I, I honestly, I know it's not the same, but I kind of comp it to a Pavel Buchnevich with the Rangers. Now, Buch was good for the Rangers, but Buch was a guy that was up and down for the Rangers. And then they got him, and now he's the number one guy. Give Pugliarvi a chance as a top guy on another team where the expectations aren't so high. Your next Logan Brown. Is that, fun, is that funny to you? Move up the arms is that funny to you? Is that funny to you? Benton's a top five move by Army. That's where I'm at. Thomas Grice, though, starting goalie. Grisomania. Start it tonight. Send it a damn break. Coming up next, the superstar market requires teams to be completely illogical. Is that a good thing for the Cardinals? completely illogical. That's true. We'll do it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. These are the winter meetings of illogical. If you are hoping to play by the book, by the evaluations that you get with an algorithm and a computer, you're not going to get any superstars. Okay, okay, but that, so if, they, if you want to walk in the superstar market right now, John, yeah. the, the cover charge is extraordinary. That was John Morosi yesterday on MLB Network talking about how, hey, if you want to sign any of these free agents that are superstars, you got to get a logical. And Alex, this is what we've been talking about the Cardinals don't do for years. I think this offseason, maybe more than ever previously, I actually get it. I do. I, I kind of understand it for most of these players. And I just being a hypocrite because usually you call them out. I... I understand why the Yankees did it. It makes sense for them to bring back their hometown hero, and it's the Yankee money, whatever. But nine years, $360 million for a guy that's going to be 31, year, 31 years old next year, that's wild. Trey Turner get a, getting 11 years, $300 million, nuts. Last night was the craziest of all of the contracts. 11 years, $280 million for Xander Bogarts. Guys, I love Bogarts. I would assign him to it. I would have given him like seven years, and that would have been me pushing it a little bit. The San Diego Padres gave him <laughs> 11 years absurd. at more than $25 million per year. Apparently, the Red Sox were like all day yesterday believing they had him. like It was ready to go. And then a report came out after he signed this deal in San Diego where the Red Sox officials said, yeah, we weren't even close to that, nor would we have gone close to that. And I... There's a lot of people that are criticizing the Red Sox today. I don't blame but them. One of the Reds, I wouldn't have gone to that place either. One of him. the Red Sox beat writer put it out there, and it was a report that he had that said like there was an offer that was on the table of five years, $150 million. And, I mean, you're talking $30 million a year. That's a good offer. It's a yeah. great offer, but it sounds like Bogarts wants the term more than the amount of money. I mean, that's what you just said. That's $150 million guaranteed. You know what he got? $280 million guaranteed. Alex, which one wow. would you rather have? $150 million guaranteed. And then Jacob deGrom, who is <laughs> a superstar, got five years, despite the fact that over the last two seasons, he's pitched like 100 innings in total yeah, but that's the for Texas $185 million. Rangers. These prices are nuts on the open market right now. So here's what J.P. Morosi also had to say on MLB Network about what it means for the market and whether or not this is going to be something that guides teams in the future. There is now a line in the major leagues. Teams that are willing to make decisions like this, that now includes the Padres and the Phillies, the Boston Red Sox, the iconic team that's won four World Series titles since 2004, is now on 
decidedly the logical side of that equation. Yes. Logic, yes. logic right now, though. Logic gets you in last place. Logic will get you another <laughs> yeah. word that begins with L. Logic will get your schedule to end at the end of September, I think, in many yeah. cases. Damn. J.P. Morosi just dealing heat. Wish so, he would respond to my text. Then he dropped the <laughs> mic and left. Here's the thing. I think there is some truth to what he is saying. If you don't go out there and supplement your roster the way that the Cardinals have via trades to be able to acquire those superstars and you just do what the Red Sox have done, which is completely deplete your roster of any superstar talent, and they've got one more left, one more. He's at third base, and if they don't have pay him after this season – I think Red Sox fans are going to riot. Like, they're going to go absolutely nuts. They had Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts, and one of the best third basemen in the sport. And if they end up with none of them long-term, man, you're one of the, what, five most iconic franchises in the history of the sport, and you're just letting these guys walk? That's crazy. But for a place like the Cardinals, at least they have supplemented that talent. They've gone out and acquired Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. In the past, maybe it didn't work out the way that they wanted it to, but they tried with Marcelo Zuna. They tried with Jason Hayward. They've gone out and, while not bidding on these top-level free agents, they have acquired legit superstar-level talent. I think that's your only option for the Cardinals now. Like Now that we've gone through these shortstop markets over the last couple of seasons, we've seen that the money is officially back in free agency. I don't think that we need to talk about that top level of free agency for the Cardinals anymore because they are very much on the logical side of things. And if you've got to be completely illogical to sign these guys, I don't think the Cardinals are going to go there. Yeah, but what did uh, Morosi just say about if you're logical? It's going to hand you a bunch of L's. Asterisks. If you play in the Central Divisions, you're fine. Both the NL and AL. And if you supplement it with really talented players through trades. That's the other thing. Like You have to be illogical somewhere. It either has to be via trade or free agency, and the Cardinals are more likely to do that via trade than they are in free agency. Here's my concern with that, though. How how many times can you pull off those deals like how many times can you pull off paul goldschmidt nolan arenado type deals it's a fair point because now you can see that the league is trending towards the young players as soon as they hit free agency they're going the illogical route and getting all of the money you can i think the trade route is good but you also have to be able to draft and develop that superstar talent and turn them into talent but how likely are, is the Cardinals going to be when, let's say, Jordan Walker hits superstar level and he hits free agency? And I know that's six, seven years from now. I would also add, I think that I trust the Cardinals to re-sign their own because they've done it. They, they have done this in the past. The only one they didn't with was Albert Pujols. And but I mean, he went at, on to... But look at how they re-signed those guys. Like, it wasn't seven, eight, nine, ten-year deals. And that's where, if that's the way that the league is trending... When Nolan Gorman, if he hits that level that we're all expecting, or Tyler O'Neill hits that level, or you're about to see it with Jack Flaherty, which I know he's got injuries, but if you get those superstar talent levels... This is the thing, it's so rare to get that superstar level talent. Like I, I don't think Tyler O'Neill fits into the category that you're talking about. I would be shocked if Jack Flaherty fits into the category yeah. you're talking about. The one that does, potentially, is Jordan Walker, and we've seen how the Cardinals operate. If he's really good over the next three seasons, they're going to buy out his arbitration years and they'll sign him for probably a six or seven year deal that makes sense for the club. And then if he once again gets close to the end of that contract and is outperforming it, they will once again go back to the table with him and say, hey, we'll offer you twenty five, thirty five million dollars, which is big money, but not like game changing money the way that it is for Bogarts or um, Aaron Judge. And they'll try to keep him again on a deal like that. So they're. 
they're logical about it, but their way works as long as it's a homegrown player. I mean, the Cardinals have pulled it off, and so I can't sit here and say, like, oh, well, they're not going to be able to withhold that because they continue to find ways to do it. But, man, it makes me really worried how often you can find a Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado when you're looking for that superstar talent because they went through it. They thought Jason Hayward was going to be it. They thought Marcelo Zuna was going to be it, and they never found it. How often can you continue to live that way with finding the trades of Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And I, I think at some point, you know, I do think at some point a team like the Cardinals, and not now because you got two guys that were making $30 million in Goldie and Arenado, but I think there might be a time where it would make sense to do the illogical spending because you're in need of another superstar. And if the trade market's not there or if you had a depleted farm system, whatever. Again, it's all circumstantial. But the other reason I think that if you're a Cardinals team and you look at, you know, let's say, I don't know, 10 years down the road and you're looking at another superstar and it's, oh, should we go illogical spending on them? I think the Cardinals are a team that could make 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 sense. Why is that? Because they're really good at developing those um those uh what's the word i'm looking for those pieces that can be complementary pieces we've talked about it a lot this year that's why we were in on guys like bogarts before his big contract turner uh, not swanson but correa nimmo it's because the cardinals have a very good track record of developing guys that can be those mid-tier players that are cost control and can provide something for a team that that's what all teams need when you look at the la angels and i'm not comping the cardinals to the angels but what's the issue with the angels they do that ideological spending problem is they can't develop those surrounding pieces around those guys and that's why they've had trouble having sustained success so i think it just depends circumstantial wise i i do think there will probably be a time where we will look in down the road and go you know what it's probably time the cardinals get uncomfortable and go sign one of these massive contracts because they're in need of somebody to do that but it all it all just depends is your farm system depleted does the farm system is it still developing those guys that we're talking about at the complementary pieces but for some of these teams it does make sense for the Padres, it makes a ton of sense to go do illogical spending i think this year looking at the market and how it has played out it made sense for the cardinals to sit out of the top tier that's the other thing that i would ask um how many of these contracts would you have been interested in for the Cardinals? Like localizing it here? Because I think for their own teams, I could explain away all of these for the most part. I, I think most of them make sense given where they're going. But it's a very different conversation if you're asking me, should the Cardinals have been interested given the contracts that ended up being signed? I'm not sure how many I would have been interested in. Like Justin Verlander, if they yeah, had the money the to do it. One. Two years, $85 million? Sure. I, I would have potentially considered that. That's the only, the, probably the, it. The only reason I would push back on the Verlander one, and just thinking of that as, oh, yeah, an ace for that kind of money for only a two-year deal, older guy, makes sense. The only reason I say I wouldn't do it is because I know that they couldn't have upgraded the offense. And, sure. and that's the reason I would say I wouldn't have done that deal. Yeah, but, but like if you're in hindsight, make that, if you're going with the But approach, if you're going to make that deal, you're going to be spending money. And, like, I think... But like, I, I think when you... I think and maybe I'm wrong here and I can see where I can see where you're going. My thought process would be, okay, well they're spending money this offseason. I think that would be the only move. I, I think that Probably. would legitimately be it. Is it's Verlander and you don't augment the offense. And Unless that's why you make the trade for the catcher instead. But even then, I mean I've talked about it. I don't I'm not sure yeah. Sean Murphy's protection for Goldie I don't Arnott. think he was ever an player. option because they didn't have forty million. So like it's I a know, but, point, I, but I know, but I'm just saying, like just going off of that, if they had forty million dollars, I wouldn't have done that deal. And I wouldn't have done any of the deals that I've seen from the top end. I would have probably done Kenley Jansen. Two oh, years, yeah, six, 16 oh, mil per year. Him, then I would have done Jansen. I, but what I'm saying is, like, I'm going down all of the deals that have been done so far. There's not a lot of them that I would Chris Chris Martin, two uh, years, uh, $17 million, maybe. Like, I would have done the, the Wilson Contreras deal. The bullpen arms I, I might consider. I genuinely believe, to your point, Alex, I think the Wilson Contreras deal among the top end of the market is the most reasonable 
that we have seen so far. It came in right around what everybody expected. It's one Honestly, more year, a little probably, less. and it's a little less on the AAV, which is kind of the trade-off that you end up seeing. But I think that's probably, for me at least, just from my own perspective, one of the more reasonable contracts that we've seen signed so far this offseason. One final question for you guys. Nolan Arenado, prior to this offseason, prior to the funny money being spent, especially at the winter meetings, decided to opt into his contract with the Cardinals. That contract is for, what is it, six more years? About $150 million? What do you guys think Nolan Arenado would have received had he hit the open market? If he opted out, what kind of money do you think he would have been offered, given what we're seeing all of these other players get? I mean, I think you're probably talking $30 million per year and probably giving him seven or eight years. So what, 240 mil? I think that's probably right. I, I think he would have gotten around the $30 million range, and he probably would have gotten around an eight-year deal. And I, you know, originally I said that I couldn't see him getting that kind of money when we first talked about him opting Same. out. I didn't th- a, I didn't think it was possible, and B, I thought even if like someone like the Dodgers were going to spend on him, I don't know if they would be willing to throw that kind of money. But, I mean, look at now. I think they would have definitely been able to do it because then they would have had the idea of what the Cardinals have, where it's your corners are locked up. They got Freeman, well, they would have had Arnato. And, hell, you're probably going to see somebody give him a 10-year deal, 300 mil, because, I mean, I know he'd be 42 at the end of it, but Xander Bogart is going to be 41 at the end of his contract. Might have been like nine Maybe eight, something like that. 270 but, mil, 250 mil, something. Yeah, $35 million per year because he's, nice. he's currently locked up for the Cardinals. Five years, $145 million. That's the reason I bring this up, I think I, we don't give him a lot of credit very often uh, in general, like fans. Here we go. John Mosellock deserves Gersh, some credit uh, for this offseason. He, he got Nolan Arenado to opt into what is a well below market value now contract for the Cardinals. And he ended up acquiring a catcher with only giving up a second-round pick and $500,000 in international signing money for a totally reasonable cost that is one of the five to six best catchers in all of baseball. And you're going into next year with that guy now behind the plate and all of your young players that you were building around a year ago, they're all back. You didn't have to trade any of them elsewhere. So I think that... There's some credit that needs to be given right now to John Mosellock. I know it's not a sexy offseason, well, but everything it's worked that, out pretty well Everything for him. that I know about this fan base, they respect the fact that if you just re-sign one of your guys, that's better than signing one of the elite free agents. In 15 net, minutes net. or so, did the net, Blues net. misread the direction that the league is headed? We'll get into that coming up at 1230. But next, 65780 is the air cut for service tax line. It's Tanner's favorite time of the week. Yeah, it is. Believe it or not, here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. It should have been Sing it with me. It's the duet of me and Ferrario. I'm feeling it today. Out of the band. Stay out of this. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away, a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. It's time for Believe It or Not. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. And start a boy band. That's right. 
I'm going to on St. Charles Main Street here pretty soon. Yeah, but that's not a boy band. That's a boy solo. And by the way, come on out and bring your uh, bring your rotten fruit and vegetables. Yeah, we'll figure out a day and a time to do that. Have you decided what songs you want to sing? By the way, the entire Ferrario clan wants to come out for that. Like nice. my wife, my little girls. I mean, St. Charles Main Street's a great time. I mean, great I'm, I'm going to bring everyone out there for this. It'll be fun. Um, I am going with my niece and nephew to... Uh, take my picture with Santa Claus here in the not too distant future. Remember Looking the damn rules, though. If you sit on the lap with Santa with those two, we negate it. and You have to do it again. I'm doing both. I'm going to sit on my I'm I'm going to sit on Santa's lap with the niece and nephew on my lap first. Take a quick picture and then they get off. They get out of there and I tell Santa what I want for Christmas. No, hopefully believe it's a it or not, betting. T-Bone, I don't think that's paying the punishment there because I think the punishment what? is you waiting in line by yourself. And then call you up, and you walk up there by yourself. Oh, should I do it myself first, and, and then, then add bring it? Yeah, that's, yeah. Fair. I think that's fair. Because I want Santa to look and be like, "Oh, ho, ho, who's and I, next?" And I just wanted what the hell. At least that's how I picture going. Someone going, "Oh, are you here with your kids?" No, it's just me. And then I want you to lean into Santa and go, "You smell like beef and cheese. You're not the real Santa Claus." Six five seven eight zero zero. Come for service. Text line from the six one eight. Guys, believe it or not, Carlos Correa will be a giant, and Dansby Swanson will be a cub. I think I believe it. I think that's exactly what I'm expecting. I think I'm not going to believe it. I think Correa and Swanson will be a Cub. Ooh. I mean, they seem like they want to spend a lot of money. And you, you said what? Both will be a Cub. Because they were going for Bogarts and Correa, weren't they? Allegedly. I mean, it sounds like Bogarts was about to head back to Boston but before from, the Padres decided to get drunk on a Wednesday night. But from what <laughs> Cap told us yesterday... They, they basically gave the approval to say, hey, go get everybody. And I mean, there's only two shortstops remaining right now. So I'm going to I'm not believing this. I think the Cubs get both. Uh, I think I'm going to believe it because I think the Giants got to do something yep. because they were in on the judge market. Yeah, so they've got to go sign. The uh, so they got to go sign judge. a superstar. I, I think they will get Correa. I, I do think the Cubs will end up with Swanson. I think instead of going Swanson, Correa, I could see them going like Swanson, Benintendi. Like I, I could see them doing something along those lines. I, I think that's the route that they might try to approach. I'd be pretty shocked at this point if Carlos Correa doesn't end up with the Giants. They, they have to get a franchise player. They were in on Judge till the very last moment, and I think that's why Correa hasn't signed yet, is because he was waiting to find out what that market ended up looking like. I mean, if he doesn't go there, where where else is he going? Correa signs in, in, with Chicago. Who's the better team next season, Cubs or Giants? Wait, who's signing with Chicago? Correa signs with Chicago. Giants don't get one of the top free agents. Who's I, the better team? I think it's close, but probably Chicago. I think I would say the Cubs, too, because they added Talion for depth in the rotation. Their bullpen was, I think their bullpen was decent last year, if I remember correctly. And they upgraded their offense. So I, I think I might take the Cubs. I think I would, too. Yeah. I think it's close, but I mean, the Giants are at a crossroads right now. They got to figure out what the future yeah, of their when, franchise looks when like. When we're talking about them, I don't like who's the face of the Giants right now. Is it Logan Webb? Like, probably. Did the Giants just start trading assets and start start? Do they begin to tank mode? I don't think I don't think they ever do that. I, I think they're always in how do we money? win now mode. And Does that so, benefit you though? Because like you got your your reign by clicking in the draft. Their pitching's pretty good, and so I, I don't think that you can true. just punt on. Yeah. The right. the span in which you've got good pitching because that can break so quickly and you got to take you got to capitalize while you can six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for believe it or not uh, guys believe it or not the Cardinals will still add a left handed hitter of significance I'm I think I'm leaning towards no unless they make a trade 
because right now you've got your catcher. You didn't have to trade any of those left-handed bats. I think they're going into next year, at least as currently constructed, expecting Gorman, Donovan, Newt Barr, and Burleson to be those left-handed hitters. I, I thought they would have to replace that with at least one of those guys. Now that they, it appears, won't have to do that. I would say no. I don't think if they're going to sign one of those lefty bats. Yeah, I don't think so either. Unless one of them is up for being a backup outfielder. And I don't think that's going to happen. Now I think you get into the territory that you brought up, T-Bone, of a David Peralta possibly as one of those depth pieces. But no, I don't think it's going to be one of those those top left-handed bats that we were talking about because now you look at it and you say, we just need asset pieces that can complement this roster. Yeah, I'm not going to believe that. I don't think they're in on the left-handed bat market anymore. One, I think it, it, when the Bellinger deal was signed, it kind of set kind of the market. I don't think they wanted to give a $1 to $10, $50 million deal out. And also, I think they like the guys that they have it from the left side that they have internally. So I'm not going to believe this. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, believe it or not, Mizzou will take down Kansas not, in the border war this uh, weekend. They can't play defense, man. We've talked about this. I'm really hoping they will. I think they'll keep it close. But I think at some point... Kansas has got good enough shooting that they can kind of what just they, open the game up. What do they need to do in that game for you to be bought in with Mizzou? Keep it close. Play defense. Uh, not even. Oh, just no. score. Okay. Score and keep it close. I'm not expecting them to win this game. I mean, Kansas is a, a legit top 10 to 15 team in the country right now. If they keep it close and then they keep it close against Illinois, I'll think this has this team has a real chance to be a tournament team. And that is way beyond my wildest expectations from what this season was expected to be. So, yeah. Keep it close. Make it interesting. I am not believing it, though. I don't think that they're going to end up winning this game. Yeah, I'd be surprised. Uh, from the 217, believe it or not, guys, Lars Nupar is an all-star this season. I'm not going to believe this one. Um, I just, I don't see it happening. I think to be an all-star, you, you got to be towing that MVP level when it comes to the outfielders because of all of the name recognition with outfielders. Can I give you the names that were outfielders this year? Sure. I'll allow it. Just to add context to what this would mean. Ronald Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, Bryce Harper as a DH, Jock Peterson, Ian Happ, Starling Marte, Kyle Schwarber, Juan Soto. Those were your outfielders for the National League. Two of those were one of somebody's got to get on it because of the team which it kind of always feels like you go to that rank. Like um, uh, Ian Happ was on it because nobody else from the Cubs was going mm-hmm. to make that all-star roster. Um, I'm still not going to believe this one. I don't think he gets there. I um, think his path is the Jock Peterson path. That's what he would have to do. He'd yeah. have to be Jock Peterson. From but if the Giants are going to stink this year, Jock Peterson might be their rep. It's possible. Yeah, I- I'm not going to believe it because I-, I just think there's outfield depth across the National League to where it's going to be tough for him to get in. And again, I'm just sold on him as a fourth outfielder. So I- I'm not going to believe it. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into the junk drawer. We'll be joined by Ben Heisler coming up at the top of the one o'clock hour. Also coming up at the 12 o'clock hour before the end of this hour, we are going to give you a five game weekend pack for the St. Louis Cardinals 2023 season. So that's coming up before the end of this hour. Don't miss it. Coming up next, did the Blues misread the direction of the league? We'll tell you here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario 
and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So earlier today, there was a piece over on The Athletic that caught my attention, Alex. Oh, yeah. It's about the NHL scoring boom. This comes from Pierre Lebron. He wrote, the NHL this season is averaging almost six and a half goals per game, continuing a, a trend which started last year where the league averaged 6.3 goals per game. That was the first time above six goals per game since the 2005 lockout ended where they had the new rules that opened up the game and there was that temporary spike in 0506 where it was right at six goals per game. So in other words, this is the highest goals per game average that we've seen in the NHL in almost 20 years. The league is having a scoring boom right now, unlike anything we've seen in a long time. And the Blues to a certain degree, have followed that trend. Last year, they rode that all the way to having one of the best offenses in the NHL. This year, the offense has taken a step back. And we saw the response to the league scoring boom from the Blues was, we better keep Nick Letty. We better make sure that our defensive core is at least solidified, even if it's not going to be great, because that's the way that we counteract that, right? Alex, what if they zigged when everybody else was zagging when they should have just followed the trend? Because the trend was add offense, add offense, score more goals, get get a higher, more potent offense. And the Blues decided to do the opposite, letting one of their more lethal goal scorers walk in free agency in David Perron. Was that a misread of the direction that the league was going in your mind? And it would have been hard to know at the time. Yeah. This is just... You're look. You've, we've now got the benefit of hindsight. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was a misread because, like, yes, they were, or it seems they were zigging while the NHL was zagging in terms of they were going the defensive mindset first. But look at the guys that they have defensively. I think they were viewing it as we're going to focus on better play in our own zone. But that better play in our own zone is also going to result in better transition and better offense with our defense. You've got Krug, you've got Falk, you've got Letty, you've got Pareko, you've got Mikola, although I know he's kind of a defensive-minded guy. They view him who can create offense. Scott Perunovic was going to be on this team. I think they viewed this as we're going to have the mindset of being better in our own zone offensively than what we were last season but we're also going to be better on the power or better on offense because our defensemen are going to chip in. I think the problem for the blues is they invested that mindset in a group that hasn't lived up to that potential. Like I think, and this is easy to go back and say this, and this is no disrespect to Nick Letty, but Nick Letty hasn't been the offensive defenseman that they thought they were getting. And he also hasn't been the shutdown guy playing with Colton Pareko that they were thinking if you would have gotten Hampus Lindholm at the trade deadline last year, I think you could buy into that because Lindholm is an offensive guy. He's got a lot of points right now with Boston, but he's also a guy who can eliminate zone entries and eliminate those high danger scoring chances by his play. He's a top defenseman for Boston. Jacob Chikrin's the other one that everyone likes to bring up. He's a guy who creates offense, but he's also a number one defenseman in his own zone. I think the problem for the blues is they had the right mindset, The problem is the players aren't playing to the level that they were expecting them to play at. Yeah, I I think that's all reasonable. And I think the tough part is like when you have the team that the Blues have and this this core right now, they they need to win games like six to five. They they got to win games like they were to three. They got to win games like they beat the Islanders with and how they played against the Rangers in the first two periods. And that means that you're going to give up potentially like three goals in any given period. We've seen that in what their last seven games, games, seven games right now, eight, 16 under 26. And that's, 
it's not just a blues trend. It's a league wide trend. I, I've seen a lot of pieces recently written about how no, no lead is safe in the NHL right now because of the way that the scoring has gone up. Dallas and Minnesota this past Sunday was a four goal lead for Minnesota and Dallas tied things up in the third period. So it's not just the blues that are falling victim to these sorts of games. It's everybody. It's, it's all across the league. The problem is for some of these other teams, their offense is so good that they can make up for it. Even if they give up a three goal lead somewhere, they've got the confidence, they've got the swagger, they've got the ability to go out there and continue putting up goals as the as the game goes along. The Blues just aren't there right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I think that the bigger question for me about the Blues, and I know this sounds strange given how how awful their goal suppression has been all all year. The bigger concern for me is their goal scoring, their lack of it. Two, two, five, one, four, two, four, and then this last one they had seven, including the two um, empty netters. That's what your offense has been. It's been one of the worst in the NHL, especially at five on five this year. It's been bottom five in the NHL. That's something that has to get figured out. And until they do, it's going to be a lot of what we've seen so far this year, where if it gets hot, you'll look at the record and it'll be good for that stretch. And when it goes cold again, it's going to end up being a significant losing streak. And that's why it comes down to a couple of individuals. You know, the conversation we had with Joey about Vladimir Tarasenko and not scoring power play goals, but overall, he's been a streaky guy for them. The conversation comes into Brandon Saad. He's been a guy who you expect 25, and I know he's kind of on pace for that right now, but for a majority of this season, he kind of has gone silent. And I know this sounds crazy to talk about Robert Thomas in this way because he's a point-per-game player for you, but Robert Thomas has got to be a little bit more two-dimensional with his play. Robert Thomas has got to start shooting the puck so that they they can't anticipate that pass every single time. Uh, there's a lot of guys. What do you think a good Robert Thomas season looks like from a goal scoring perspective? I'd say 20 goals. Okay. I'd say 20 goals because he's on pace for 16 this year. He's he's a 20 goal scorer and he can get to that. But like if you watch the power play with Robert Thomas, every single penalty killer you know on the ice knows exactly what's coming. Whereas if in Kelly Chase was talking about this on the broadcast last week with Curbs and Joey, if Robert this was the this was what Adam Oates was so good at. Everyone knew Oates was going to pass the puck until Adam Oates started shooting the puck. And then they're like, wait, where's this guy going with this? This is what we saw from Robert Thomas in the second half last year, why he got to that 20 goal mark, because he became the guy that's like, you think I'm going to shoot? You think I'm going to pass this? I'm shooting this one off of the rush. He's got a good shot. If you just get to him shooting the puck more and making defensemen think that he's going to pass, that's where I think you get a lot more lethal. If you could just get more goal scoring from some of these guys, you become a lot more of a dominant threat. On the offensive side, which leads to you not spending as much time in your own zone, the problem is teams know what you're going to do when you enter. So we've been getting a lot of questions over the last couple of weeks, really, about, hey, guys, what about the coaching staff? Is Craig Berube on the hot seat? And earlier today, ESPN.com put together their list of the coaches that are on the on the hot seat. Teams that have coaches in what Greg Wyshynski classified as the burning up category include the Canucks, the Ducks, the Rangers, and the Senators. Those four teams. (laughs) How how are we doing this again with Gerard Gallant and another team? Every year. Really? Every year. Uh, The hot in the summer category includes the Sabres, the Blue Jackets, the Capitals, and the Maple Leafs. And then the next category he labeled as centrally hot, depending on the week, did that because it's a pun based on the uh, central division the st louis blues the minnesota wilds and the nashville predators all included in this category yeah that's dumb 
his write-up on Craig Berube. Quote, Berube was just handed a contract extension last season that signed him through the 25 campaign. The Blues are one of the NHL's most unpredictable and streaky teams this season, but one whose lack of defensive cohesion is surprising for a coach in a franchise that's prided, them, prided themselves on it. Firing Berube would be a stunner for St. Louis, but he is in his fifth season with the team after leading the Blues to the Stanley Cup in 2019. My take on this is very simple, Alex. Craig Berube is part of the solution, not part of the problem. Yep. And firing him would be creating another problem, not solving it. When you look around the NHL, there's maybe five to seven other guys that I would have in the same category as Craig Berube, where it's like, if you have that guy, you feel good about where you're at, and you don't mess with it. You just don't. Those guys don't really exist in the NHL, and firing Berube... You know what would happen? Somebody else would fire their coach to hire him because he's that good. I was just going to say, let me let me let me paint you a picture of what happens if you fire Craig Berube. Toronto Maple Leafs will fire their head coach the same day and hire Craig Berube. The Rangers, the Rangers, fire Gallant. the Vancouver Canucks would fire their head coach and Bruce hire Boudreaux, right? Bruce Boudreau. And then you'd have to then you're signing Bruce Boudreau to be your next head coach. Firing Barubi is not the answer, especially if there are people out there that are clamoring for this team to blow this team up and start trading for draft picks. And you know what would probably happen hmm. if we're kind of like piecing this thing together. The Minnesota Wild, if they don't end up having a good year this year. You think that Billy G wouldn't be hiring Craig Berube I, I don't, in I the don't, division? I don't think Craig Berube would be available in enough time for Minnesota that's to fire right. their head coach. I think Berube would be hired in the middle of the season by a team that's kind of on the cusp of being good and they want to get to great. Like, Craig Berube, in my opinion, is among the top coaches in the National Hockey League. That Agreed. include Rod Brindamore with the Carolina Hurricanes, Jim Montgomery now with the Boston Bruins, um, and then I would throw um, Jared Bednar and honestly... Uh, Jim Montgomery? Jim Mon- well, yeah, Jim Montgomery, who's only been there for a year, but um, Vegas is... Vegas has said, yes, Bruce Cassidy. Like, he is among the top coaches in the NHL. For the people that are clamoring for this team to to suck this year so that they can get a top three pick, go ahead and do that. But if you don't have the right head coach, you're about to go into a a, 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 a circle of insanity with this team because it's going to be the same problem over and over and over. You lived this when you got rid of Joel Quinville, and you had to go through the Mike Kitchens and the Andy Murrays and the uh, Davis Paynes and the Mike Yo's until you got to Ken Hitchcock. That's the problem you're about to go into. So if there's one thing that should not, this is about as ice cold of a seat as you can ask for. Craig Berube is not going anywhere. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to our guy, Ben Heisler, but coming up next, we're going to dive into the junk drawer and we will give you a chance to win a five game weekend pack for the Cardinals 2023 season. It's all coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Tanner Hendrickson and Brandon Kylie. I'm Alex Ferrario. Let's dive into the jump junk drawer today. BK, what do you got for us? <laughs> I get it. It's a good one, BK. It's good research on that. BK had to take care of some uh, personal matters in the uh, in the restroom that just couldn't wait until a commercial commercial break. So uh, technically, he's going into the junk drawer 
realistically right now while T-Bone and I actually do the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got? All right, so over in Germany, there's a big uh, mystery that's going on. There's a heist. There's a heist. There's a heist? A sperm heist. Uh, that's right. A uh, hold bull on. sperm heist. Hold there's on, a what? problem wait, in Germany. Wait, there's a heist for bull sperm. That's right. Okay. In western Germany, 60 containers of bull sperm were stolen from a farm in Olfen, 90 kilometers northeast of Kolgeny, I think that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> Maybe and they some are, research. <laughs> they don't know. They don't know what happened, and they're trying to solve it. This is a massive. This is a massive mystery that's trying to be solved in Germany right now. And you know the reason, part of the reason they don't understand how someone could have stolen it is for it to be active. Is that you have to keep it in a minus 320 degree Fahrenheit like container where it's got liquid nitrogen in it. And they don't, they don't, you know, who has that? Who well, has that that can steal? I just want to know why you feel the need to steal that type of specimen currently. I, I, I get, I mean, I have some thoughts on why, but I, I think, I think I'd that, like to, I'd like to dive a little deeper well, into those, those thoughts. Aren't like bulls like super expensive? No, those are racehorses, man. Oh, I thought like bulls could like bring in a good amount of money too. For what? I don't know. I mean, do I look like a bull expert? <laughs> well, you brought up the story about this. Can I be honest? I just happened to see this when I was scrolling through the news not too let's, long ago. No, let's be real honest. You saw that it used one word and you said this is going to be a great story for the junk drawer. Yeah, heist. <laughs> That's a good point. BK, thoughts? You don't have to be shy about it, man. No, come on, man. Can all, you speak we can freely all, in the room. We can all indulge this together. All right, I got one for you. It's going to, uh, it's going to involve Olive Garden. Big fan of Olive Garden? I am. The best Italian restaurant I've ever seen. Okay, well, you just need to get some more Italian. But best breadsticks out there. Best salad as well. Love me some Olive Garden. Good well, chicken Alfredo. There's Ooh. one in, in Kansas that okay. is dealing with some PR issues because a manager sent this text out to all of its employees. Attention all team members. Our call-offs are occurring in a staggering rate. From now on, if you call off, you might as well go out and look for another job. We are no longer tolerating any excuse for calling off. If you're sick, you need to come prove it to us. If your dog died, you need to bring him in and prove it to us. If it's a family emergency and you can't say, too bad. Go work somewhere else. If you only want morning shifts, too bad. Go work at a bank. If anyone from here on out calls off more than once in the next 30 days, you will not have a job. And this goes on more and more and more. Would you would you would you fire that manager if that text went out? Because I've had managers that have done the same thing. Say, hey, no more calling off. If you call off, you're out of a job. I would. I would fire that manager. Would, That's now, unbelievable. Now now the now the problem for this manager. Because aren't most people that work in an olive garden, aren't they like college age students and yeah, high yeah, I mean students? there's there's a lot of people that use those as full time jobs because it's the restaurant business and the restaurant business, you know, if you're a good waiter, you're gonna get treated very well. But I think the problem with this is basically the line where he said or she said, if you're sick, come prove it. If your dog died, you need to bring it in and prove it to us. Eesh. That's where the PR stint comes into play. Oh, yeah, that's not good. By, by the way, I don't know if I ever told you guys this. So one day I got a message on Facebook Messenger. I popped up on my phone. I was like, what the heck? I don't recognize this guy's name. I look and it was like a text. Hey, Tanner, you know, we didn't hear from you last night. You didn't end up coming into work. We called your cell, but it's not going through. Is everything okay? And I'm just like, what 
the hell is this guy talking about? Did I get hired somewhere I didn't even know about it? Did I apply somewhere? I, I mentioned him back. I was like, you got the wrong tanner, my man. And he was like in Minnesota. I was like, what is going well, on You should here? have went into that job and signed I, up I for it. I should have been like, yeah, how much are you guys paying? I'm in. BK, thoughts? All right, good. Good stuff from BK there on the junk drawer, ladies and gentlemen. He's Tanner Hendrickson. Yeah. This says here that bull sperm makes some pretty good dough on that. Oh, yeah? Are yeah. you thinking about starting a bull sperm heist in Missouri? Uh, are there bulls in Missouri? <laughs> uh, 25 to $100 per straw. Well, I just saw another one. Bulls can get in. Uh, can sell for over $1,000 a piece. A container can hold several hundred of them. That's good. With Tanner Hendr- Hendrickson and uh, Brandon Kylie, who is currently elsewhere on uh, duty, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll hear from Ben Heisler to get our betting picks. We'll see if BK can finish his duties elsewhere and get back in time for Heis, who joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What happened, man? I don't know. An attack on my bowels. It was not good. Oh, yeah? yeah. You, got, you got some IBS? Uh, apparently. It's because I knew I that it. we were about to talk about sports betting. And don't know if you guys are familiar, but my sports bets have gone poorly so I got, far this year. I got IBS. It's called irritable Brandon syndrome. That makes sense. He's Alex Ferrario. Both That's Tanner Hendrickson. Go to the bathroom. And I'm Brandon Kiley. We're going out to the Brandon Group and Celebrity Line <laughs> to be joined by our friend and the managing editor over at BetSide. And he never misses a segment, unlike me. He's Ben Heisler joining us here on the show. Heist, we appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm good. Apparently, with uh, this big news in St. Louis, I also have IBS, uh, irritable baseball syndrome. Yeah, we should probably bring this up. So, for those that aren't familiar, yeah, yeah, I, I'd like you not to. Heist would love to discuss this if everyone's cool with it. Heist is from Chicago. What? He's a Cubs fan. No, Heist. Heist, how you feeling about the fact that Wilson Contreras is now a Cardinal? I feel terrible about it. I feel sick to my stomach. Does it about make it. you want to puke? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like it, it, two for it's two. Probably what's caused like severe, just like aneurysms going on right now. Like I, I'm not focused. I'm sweating. I'm hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm thirsty. Like all these emotions. Like Wilson Contreras one of my favorite Cubs ever. Like this is the dude that came up as the third string catcher behind Miguel Montero and David Ross the year the Cubs won the World Series, and then he was starting in the World Series. The guy's just, he's going to be such a good Cardinal, and it just bothers me so much. And and I think the the thing that really upsets me as a Cub fan is, yeah, they're spending money, and and that's good. It's long overdue. But the the knock on Contreras was always never that he was, you know, a bad teammate or he didn't play hard. Um, It was because of his lack of, of framing. As a catcher, like that was always his knock. Like he just wasn't a good receiver of the ball. And I'm thinking, I thought, okay, fine. Like if you really want to make that argument, that's that's fair. But then he goes to the Cardinals. Like, oh, that's not a team that's understanding of the way catching has evolved over time over the last 20 years. Like, what are you doing? So it's it's deeply upsetting, and he's just going to be one of many longtime Cup killers uh, moving on from a team and fan base that adores Wilson Contreras. So yes. Uh, not good. Hi, let me paint you a scenario and tell me which one makes you sicker. Chicago Cubs, or I'm sorry, Chicago Bears get to the Super Bowl, have the lead, blow it in the fourth quarter, 
and lose, or Wilson Contreras is the MVP for a World Series championship in St. Louis? It's a good question. I'd probably say, well, like, like, are they like? Do the Cubs lose on the way to the World no, Series? The Cubs, LCS, the LCS. No, the Cubs. That's, suck. Where, that's where you got to make it a little closer because I mean the Super Bowl the stakes are so incredibly high let's say it's the NLCS sorry that my scenario didn't work for BK everyone (laughs) no it's 2015 all over again Cardinals Cubs in the playoffs this scenario it's the NLCS Wilson Contreras hits a walk-off home run okay so he's he's the one that that hits the equivalent of the of the Kyle Schwarber home run off the the Budweiser sign in right field yeah that's that's tough man I I think that I think the Super Bowl still just because the the one time that I got a chance to see the Bears play in it was was in Indianapolis against the Colts. I was at school at Indiana at the time. That was just not ideal. So now if they get there with Justin Fields, like that's just a whole new level of, of heartbreak that I would experience. I, I'm, I'm fully anticipating Wilson Contreras and the rest of this Cardinals team going to the World Series over the next three years right. just because it's inevitable. I like that. I think our listeners really enjoy this yeah, right they, now. They I, like that. I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but they, they really like this. I do need your help, though. Because I went 0-3 again Heist. last week oh, no. in Heist. our football picks. Our boy is awful. So I'm going to throw some games at you, and we can go rapid fire here if you don't mind. Because, again, I need a lot of help going into this weekend. A lot of help. Hey, Heist, the Lions are a one-and-a-half-point home favorite against a team that has lost, I believe, one game so far this year in the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, go ahead and explain that one to me, and do you like the Lions side of things? I do, because if you actually go over some of these different elements of we're trying to figure out why the Vikings have won all these one-possession games, if you were to have flipped the script and said, what would have happened if the, the Vikings would have lost the one-possession games that they've won, they'd be what the Lions are, and the Lions would be what the Vikings are. Um, there's a reason that the line has moved from Vikings opening at minus 2.5 on the road to, at some books, um, plus 2.5. Now, you, you mentioned one and a half. I, I think that's a good line for Detroit to be on. Probably prefer them on the money line if you can take them there. But I, I talked to multiple sportsbook managers this week for BetSided to say, hey, the hell happened? Like, what, what's going on with this? Why is Minnesota a dog? And they all basically said it's the same thing. Sharps are coming in extremely heavy on the Lions. We're going to be rooting for the Vikings this week. Although, interestingly enough, the public is also very heavy on the Vikings. They just haven't moved the line. So give me the Lions this week. I'll, I'll, I'll follow what the Sharps are back in here. Well, that plays out because BK said he was taking the Vikings in this. Heist, the one that confuses Switching me. my pick now. Lions minus one oh, crap. Five. Now the Vikings are going to cover on that. Heist, you just ruined it for everyone. Heist, the one that confuses me. Titans at home are a four-point favorite over the Jaguars, but we've seen the Titans the last couple of games not look too pretty. Yeah, I, I'm going against the Sharps on this one. I like Tennessee quite a bit. They've stacked up against this Jaguars team very favorably uh, over the last several years. Um, they, they've covered, I believe, in nine of their last 11 games against Jacksonville. Derrick Henry has made his mark on Jacksonville in late games of the season. Tennessee's won 11 of their last 12 division games straight up against them. Yeah, it's a, a line that's moved from three and a half to four, and I know that Sharps are backing Jacksonville here. But I just don't trust Jacksonville right now. They're banged up. Trevor Lawrence is dealing with with a bit of an injury from last week. And what Tennessee does really well is that they're the number one uh, team defense in opponent third down conversion. So they don't give you extra opportunities to convert. And they also take away your run game. So if Jacksonville has to go one-dimensional here, 
I just don't think that's a good scenario for them. So I don't mind Tennessee at minus four. Ben Heisler is the managing editor over at Betside, and you can follow him on Twitter at Benny Heis. He joins us each and every Thursday to attempt to help us with our football picks. He makes us smarter as we watch the games on Sunday. Uh, Heis, the Buccaneers are traveling to San Francisco. They're going out to the West Coast. The 49ers are going to have Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, as their starting quarterback in this game. If you listen to the players, they seem to love him. Uh, Go, if you're listening to this right now, go on Twitter and look up what Trent uh, Williams had to say about him. He's got a great nickname. Uh, Sounds like the guys really like him. 49ers are a three and a half point home favorite in this one. There's so much uncertainty with Brock Purdy. Do you like that side? That's a really, really tough one for me. I, I think the fact that I'm getting the hook with Tampa Bay makes me feel a little bit more likely to back the Buccaneers. Purdy's just such an an unknown. And yeah, he was able to handle himself. Okay. When Garoppolo went down, but again, it was a much different matchup. Buccaneers defense is still very effective. Miami's had all the issues consistently throughout the course of the year. And you're still giving me Tom Brady, even a very limited Tom Brady um, as an underdog with the hook on the road. And a 49ers team that has been electric on defense, but you saw moments for Tampa Bay where they started to figure some things out. Brady took some more shots to the air. He gave his receivers an opportunity to bring the ball in. Um, and the San Francisco 49ers are, are banged up defensively as well. They've been great, but they're starting to deal with some injuries as well. So I'll take Tampa plus three and a half, although by no means of all the games on the board is it my favorite. Who do you, uh, who do you got in this one tonight, Heisen? Maybe if the line isn't the one that's intriguing to you, you got any uh, in-game parlays that you like or in-game bets that you like? Not so much on the parlay side. I I do like the over, even though it's kind of gone in the opposite direction that I thought it would be. Uh, I I think the Raiders are going to be able to score plenty of points. If you look at their their offensive numbers of the past three weeks after getting embarrassed by the Colts, uh, they've been one of the more efficient offenses in the entire NFL. Um, Rams are coming off of a short week, obviously. Um, Not playing well at home. Gave up the lead to Seattle. Um, They just look checked out. And now is the short turnaround and the Raiders still having, I suppose, something to play for, knowing that uh, a lot of their futures are at stake. I-, I think you'll see points in this game. And conversely, the Raiders' defense is not particularly good at all. Josh Jacobs is on track to lead the NFL in rushing. So I, I-, I think this will actually be a bit more of a shootout than-, than maybe most anticipate. So I lean over here, but if I had to go with a side, it- it's starting to get really high towards the Raiders, and that also makes me a little bit nervous as well. I think if it gets up to seven, I think it's an almost automatic play for me to take the Rams at home. Heiss, we'll get you out of here on this one. It's kind of out of the blue. You might not have an answer for me. You got a take on Army-Navy? Need some help here. It's because <laughs> he's throwing it in. Well, do you have under, a take on the side? Under, we only do sides. Oh, you only do sides. Yeah. That's why oh, he sucks so much, um, Army, Army won last year. Two triple option teams that I've watched a total of five minutes on. Uh, <laughs> it's more than me. Let's, let's go, yeah, let's go, let's go Navy to, uh, to, to hold them off. Go Navy, beat Army. I'll, I'll back you there, Heist. Appreciate the time as always, my friend. Uh, try to go ahead and drown your sorrows tonight with the Wilson Contreras news. People here in St. Louis are very happy, as you could probably imagine. They they should be very happy. The dude is uh, his first notch. He's great. Uh, listen, I, I am genuinely happy for him that he got paid and, and got a deal that he was well-deserving of. I, I just hate the fact that it was the Cardinals. Well. We love it, guys. I appreciate you, (laughs) man. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk with you again soon. That's Ben Heisler here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him hopping on with us to preview the NFL slate here each and every Thursday. Alex, have you seen what Brock Purdy's nickname is? 
If in, it, in the locker room? If it has nothing to do with being Purdy, then I'm out on it. It's big blank Brock. Does the blank start with a D? Nope. It rhymes with Brock. Oh my God, that's incredible. Okay. That's his nickname. I'm, I'm all aboard the San Francisco 49ers train. Look, T-Bone's still trying to figure out what rhymes with Brock. Yeah, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Okay. Well, we'll tell you in the break, buddy. Well, T-Bone okay. thinks about that. 65780 <laughs> is the error comfort service text line. Should I use this as our giveaway? Oh, <laughs> you gotta, yes. You name the blank. No, Ryder's I'm not, not in there, that. too. Each day this week, 101 ESPN has your chance Do to score it. a Cardinals holiday ticket pack. Today's winner will receive a five-game weekend pack for the St. Louis Cardinals 2023 season. The weekend pack features tickets to five weekend Cardinals games, including a Cubs Friday night game, two bobblehead giveaway games, and more. Cardinals holiday ticket pack starting at just $54 are on sale right now at cardinals.com slash holiday. You can win that Cardinals holiday ticket pack right now by texting 65780. And if you are texture number 101 and you can say why I missed the junk drawer today, you are going home with a five game weekend pack for the Cardinals next year. Coming up next, do the Cardinals still need to add a starter? There seem to be differing views on this. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You're looking at the, the probables and say, hey, we're going to St. Louis on Friday. Who we got? Oh, no. There's not an oh no guy. Right. And to me, I truly do believe to win a championship, you got to have an oh no guy. Yep. Chances are you should have a couple of oh blank guys to, to go do that. That's why the Phillies were as dangerous as they were. Now, certainly their lineup had something to be a little bit afraid of. They got a little bit more dangerous with the addition of Trey Turner. That was a pretty good pickup. Uh, but I still believe that you need the front end. That was BT yesterday talking about why he believes the Cardinals should still be going out after a starter. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Fredrickson wrote something similar today, writing that he thinks that they should go out there and acquire the best remaining free agent starter, whether that ends up being Carlos Rodon, Chris Bassett. Those are the two names specifically that he brought up that would make a lot of sense for the Cardinals. Alex, if they've got their money to go out there and acquire Carlos Rodon, go do it. I'm all in. That sounds great to me. He's an awesome starter. He is a lefty that you could bring in and you probably trade one of the lefties currently on the roster. My guess would be probably a Jordan Montgomery flip him for prospects. And then you end up based on the difference in the money, probably paying about an extra $20 million per year for Carlos Rodon. They want to do that. I got no issues with them spending their money. Cool. Sounds good to me. I don't think they're going to. I don't think they have that kind of money available to them right now. I'm not sure Chris Bassett is all that much better than a guy like a Jordan Montgomery. So I don't think that's the route that I would go personally. If this team's going to upgrade in the rotation, I think those are the only two guys that still remain. That really makes sense for them. I think it's going to have to come via a trade. And I looked far and wide yesterday, guys, on the trade market to try to figure out, okay, who's somebody that could become available that would make sense for them to acquire and that the other team is even reasonably going to trade? I didn't find a whole lot of options. It kept coming back to the Marlins, guys. That's really all I could find. So could they add a starter? Do I think it makes sense for them to add one? Sure. I just don't know really where they go to find that guy. Yeah, I I mean... 
the only way you, I feel like you need to get a starter is if you get the ace. And I just don't think there's an ace out there for you to get. I don't want to spend a lot of years in Carlos Rodon, despite them not having starting pitching after this season. It still concerns me. And trade-wise, like there's just not an ace out there that I'm ready to just throw all of my money in. Even Pablo Lopez that people will bring up. I just don't think he's that ace that you make the trade for and give up the assets that you're going to have to give up. So I'm, I'm just kind of... I'm done with the starting pitching and I'm kind of pushing all of my chips into the middle of the table with my five guys plus whomever you go out there and sign. That's why I look at the bullpen now and I look at the bats and I don't even know if you need a bat anymore because you've got a lot of guys that you're relying on, but I look at the bullpen and I say, is there somebody else out there that makes your bullpen even more lethal than it is right now? The guys that we mentioned in trade conversations or signing conversations that are the swing men. And then, of course, you come back to the Craig Kimbrels if you want to go that route. But, I mean, the um, Liam Hendricks from the White Sox, if we want to go Fulmer, Lorenzen, and free agents, that's where I'm going with this. Make your bullpen as stacked as possible because I just don't think there's anything out there realistically that you can do to make your rotation better. Yeah, I I agree with you. I I don't think there's a guy because I I agree. I would not give Rodon the deal he's seeking because he's seeking like six years around like $25, $30 million Mm -hmm. a year. If it was a four-year deal, maybe if you got the money to do it, then maybe you go out there and make that kind of a move. But I don't want to do six. It's too risky, in my opinion. And then you look at the trade market. As Alex said, there's just not guys out there. Bieber's not going to be dealt. It sounds like Glasnow's not going to be dealt from Tampa Bay until at least maybe the trade deadline because they want to wait, build up some of his value back by pitching. I, I think you just kind of stand pat with what you have. And to BT's point of when you look at the probables when you're going into a series, it's Cardinals are lacking kind of the old blank guy. I, I think Flaherty's that guy if he's healthy. And I, I get it. That's a massive if, if Jack Flaherty's healthy. But if Jack Flaherty's healthy, and it sounds like the Cardinals are going to bank on him being healthy this season, based on the way that they're, they've are they been talking at the winter meetings, I think he's one of those guys if he's healthy and he's right, to where you look at it and you go, ah, oh, crap, we got to face Jack Flaherty. Do they probably need one more guy? Yeah, but I don't think there's anybody worth spending the big dollars on to go get. I think what the, you do is you run it back with this rotation. If Flaherty shows he's healthy, you're a really good team, and you think, you know what, we need this trade deadline. We just need that starter. Then I think you look and go and try and find that one and be willing to pay an exorbitant price and prospects at that point. But right now, I would just kind of sit back, sit back and see what you have and look for a high-end leverage reliever. I agree with Alex there. That's where I'm at as well. And somebody on the text line from the 573 mentions, what about signing Corey Kluber? I, I, again, throw any of those guys that are in the mid-tier free agency market. I like Corey Kluber. I think they're pretty much what you have now. So if you end up trading one of the guys that you have currently slotted to be in your rotation and you go back to the market because you think that by flipping its current starter, you can get something else you need and then you can just replace that guy by simply spending the same amount of money. Sure, that makes sense as a way to utilize your resources to me. But you're just replacing what you had already by doing that. Uh, I definitely just to add Corey Kluber to this team. I'm not sure what the role is for him. And that's why if I'm going to add somebody that can be that swing man, I want somebody who can be lethal if I need him to be in a deep bullpen role. You need somebody that can fill the Andre Palante role from last year. Because essentially, let's let's be honest with this. If you lose one of your starting rotation guys for a lengthy period of time, you're going to have to make a trade. Nobody you can sign as a swing man is going to fill the role. If you lose Flaherty, Michaelis, Wayno, Montgomery or Matt's. It could do a temporary, but it's not going to be a full season for you. It's not going to be a lengthy period of time. You can make a trade for a starting pitcher. You just did it. You can't make a trade elsewhere that can be effective. You could do it with a bullpen arm, but if they're sitting there in front of you, make yourself damn good in that spot now. Here's the other thing is when we think about going to the market and signing one of these current starters that are available, such as a Corey Kluber, just use his name as a placeholder. 
you got to think about it from their perspective as well. This is something that the Cardinals ran into last year uh, with Jose Quintana in the offseason. He looked at the Cardinals rotation and said, would I be interested in going there? Sure. But where's my spot? Like, I'm, I'm not guaranteed to start there. But if he start assigned with the Pirates, as he did, there was a guarantee, no doubt about it. I'm going to start every fifth day with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he knew, as somebody that was trying to recoup some of his value, if I go there and I pitch well, I'll probably be traded at the trade deadline. I'll go to a better team in the next offseason, as we saw, I can get a better contract with maybe a contender. That's what a lot of these guys do. That's probably what a Corey Kluber is going to try to do. Or maybe he ends up signing with another team that's looking for a number five starter. The problem for the Cardinals right now is they're not looking for a back end of the the rotation starter. They're looking for potentially a front end starter or a guy like Alex said that can go float between the starting rotation and the bullpen. And those guys aren't the ones that we're talking about that will be legit upgrades for your rotation right now. So I've seen a few different people mention Danny Duffy. He hasn't been healthy in two years. I'm not particularly interested in him. That doesn't make you a better team. And he's just like, that's a Drew Verhagen type of a signing where you get him. And I don't mean in terms of what you ended up getting out of Verhagen, but like you're, you're signing him hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. If it works great, if not, whatever, but sure. They could, they sign Duffy. I got no problem with that, but it's like a $2 million flyer deal. Somebody else mentioned Tyler Glass. Now you mentioned him earlier, Tanner. He's just probably unrealistic to be available right too now. Too expensive with too many question marks. He's That's only $2 million this no, year. No, I mean trade value-wise. Too expensive to what you'd have to give up for hoping I just don't that think he's... the Rays are selling him right now. Like yeah. They're trying to compete this upcoming season. This time next year, sure, we can talk about Tyler Glass now because he'll be $23 million the following season. He's only going to make $2 bucks this year. That's the perfect Rays starter. Next year's when they'll probably trade him. Same thing's true for Shane Bieber. They're trying to win right now. Why would they trade him today? Yeah, get him They'll next probably year. do that next year. So when you look at all of the guys that are potentially available, it's just really hard to find the obvious fit for the Cardinals, I think it makes a lot more sense, like you guys mentioned, for them to go after that reliever. Whether that ends up being going after Liam Hendricks as a late innings type of a player or going after a swing man, one of the guys that we talked about earlier today, I I think makes a lot of sense. The guys specifically that I think probably are the best fits are Lorenzen, Matt Moore, and Michael Fulmer. I think those are probably my top three in that category. Other than that, is there anything else you guys think that the Cardinals will or should do this offseason? Like other than a relief pitcher? Like if they, let's say they end up signing one of the three names that we just mentioned. Lorenzen, Matt Moore, Michael Fulmer. All of those guys are like swing starter, bullpen types of players that could, worst case scenario, fit into your sixth or seventh inning mix probably in the bullpen. If they end up getting one of those guys, what else for you do you need to see them do before you go into next season? I don't know if I need to see them. I would like to see them sign Andrew McCutcheon. I'd be in on Andrew McCutcheon, depending on what the price but where's would be. he playing? Where's he fit into this roster? I think it's like a Corey Dickerson role. But isn't that role right now filled by O'Neal, uh, Carlson, Newt Barr, Burleson, Gorman, Donovan, and who am I missing? Oh, Walker. Well, Walker, I'm Walker. I'm going under the impression that I, I just, I don't want him up here right away. I want him to take his time. Donovan to me is my second baseman, and I don't know what Burleson is. I, I, I kind of view Burleson as a DH spot for you right now, and with that, I mean, yeah, Gorman too would be in that category. And, and, I mean, you just got so many guys on the roster. I don't know that you have a roster spot for him I, unless you end up trading Paul DeYoung. Maybe I. I Frankly, I'd like him over Paul DeYoung in this spot, but I just well, sure. But I need they've a little, got to find a landing spot for him. I, I I just kind of think I'd like a little bit of insurance 
I'd like a little bit of insurance and a little bit more of a guy with some experience, and that's why I kind of would like to see. I look at Andrew McCutcheon as I looked at what they wanted them to do with uh, Colin Moran last year. Yepes was the other guy that I missed. I think Yep. If you traded Yepes, I could totally understand why you go out there and acquire uh, McCutcheon. But I think Yepes is at this point. Andrew McCutcheon, but better. I was going to say, I think he's better than Andrew McCutcheon at, the, at this McCutcheon point. McCutcheon can give you defense, though. I, I, I could understand, though, looking he for that. He's really been good defensively. I, I could understand better you bringing that idea of uh, they can both catch the ball. Okay, uh, I, I I could understand, though, the aspect of you know bringing in a veteran presence to help with the bench. Like I, I could totally understand that move. I, I think right now, I, I mean, I still think they need a guy that has more certainty in the outfield, but I don't think they're going to do that. So, But if, if I'm looking at the Cardinals' perspective, I think you need two two more legit bullpen arms. Whether that means one of those is a swingman and then the other's a high-end reliever, I, I think you need two guys. I, I They've probably got three to five million dollars to spend you could probably get your swing man for around two million bucks and then maybe you can get a five million dollar guy spend seven million dollars on that bullpen I, I think they need to get more swing and miss in the bullpen and if they don't i think part of the reason they're looking for a swing man is they saw the splits with palante and he couldn't get right-handed batters out and they said oh we need more that that's a bit uh, his underlying numbers are a bit concerning let's go get someone that we know uh, has a bit more certainty in that role. I think that's why they're looking at it. So I would say the two things I think they need to do is I, I think they need to get another swing and miss guy that can pitch the seventh inning, and I think they've got to find that swing man if that's what they're looking for. I think that's probably it. I think you get one reliever. They might have found that yesterday in the Rule 5 draft. I know people will laugh, but they they might view him as the player that you were just talking about, Tanner, where maybe this is their new Luis Garcia, the guy that they drafted. He's 32 years old. He has not played in the majors in seven years, but last year people are, again, going to laugh. He was dominant in the Mexican League, and he has to be on their 26-man roster for them to retain his rights. He has to be on the active roster, not on the 40-man down in the in AAA. They drafted him as part of the Major League part of the Rule 5 draft. So he might be the guy you're talking about, and then they go out there and sign the swing man that they're looking for. That very well may be the end of their offseason, for better or worse. And then they potentially look, if they end up missing that starter, that's where they go to the trade deadline and, and maybe try to acquire him then. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll have the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But next, Ryan O'Reilly, that deal to Buffalo, it's suddenly looking like a win-win for both teams. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Thompson. No. Who's that? Former first round pick by the St. Louis Blues back in 2016. He was the headliner in the trade for Ryan O'Reilly. No, man. Patrick Berglund was the headliner in that trade. I thought Sabotka. Sabotka was probably secondary in that trade. Tage Thompson was nobody. Well, Tage Thompson has stunk basically every year since that deal was made. What? And then last season. He ended up finishing the year with 38 goals. Now, if you look at some of the underlying statistics, man, somebody had to score for that Buffalo Sabres team. He was pretty good, but it wasn't an it wasn't quite as good of a season as maybe the the goal scoring production would lead you to believe. Now, that being said, Alex, have you seen his current pace in 2022? Have you looked up these numbers? Uh, no, I don't like to put myself through personal pain. So, no, I don't look at those numbers. So. What would you guess from a goal scoring perspective, Tanner? I want you to get in on this as well. What would you guess Tage Thompson's current pace is? 
How many goals is he on pace to score in 2022? Well, he's 20 now, 19 now, and we're about a quarter of the way through. So I would say he's on pace for 75. Damn. He was on pace for 12 by the end of last night's game. Uh, I, I'll go 40. 66 goals. Oh, the Mario wow. Lemieux route. What would you guess is his current pace for points on the season? Well, if he's 66, he doesn't pass the puck a lot. Although, yeah, he does probably because he's a centerman. I'd probably put it at about 90. For for context, uh, last year he finished with 30 assists on the year. Uh, Put it at 90. uh, I'll go 100. I'll go a little higher. 126. Guys, it's very rare that this happens where a trade actually ends up potentially being a win-win for both teams. The blue should not. Nobody should want to take that trade back. Ryan O'Reilly helped you win a Stanley Cup. That was the goal. Yeah. And you got it. You accomplished your stated goal. You accomplished your mission. He has become the the captain of the team, has been a damn good one at that. Ryan O'Reilly was worth everything you could have sent out. You could have traded the the equivalent of Sandy Alcantara. It would have been worth it for Ryan O'Reilly, given what the end result was here in St. Louis. That being said, if you're Buffalo, you also won. This is what you needed. Building around Ryan O'Reilly at that point in time didn't make any sense for them. They were terrible. They needed young, cost-controlled, uh, high-upside assets, and they got one. Tage Thompson is a star in the NHL right now. Alex, it kind of reminds me of like the Buffalo Bills and Minnesota Vikings a few years ago made a trade where it was Stephon Diggs for uh, what at the time was a first-round pick that eventually became Justin Jefferson. That worked out for both teams. Both teams are better by making that deal. I think that's kind of what's happened here. This is the rare win-win that ended up working out for both teams, given what their, at the time, needs were. The wild part is Buffalo Sabres fans were pissed off at this trade, and their general manager was fired Mm -hmm. the season after this because they were more upset that they had uh, Sabotka and Berglund in the trade I mean, by the way, I should mention the reason why we're bringing this up today is because yesterday Tage Thompson had five goals in the game, and I think it was three in the first six minutes of that game, and four in the first period. I yeah. mean, he was one goal away from tying Red Berenson for the most goals scored in one game in the National Hockey League, which is just insanity. But yeah, I mean, this is a win-win for both sides. And look, in my opinion, the Blues will always be the winner because of that Stanley cup, even if Tage Thompson goes on to be a superstar in the national hockey league. Now, if they win multiple Stanley cups, then I guess that changes things, but you still got a Stanley cup out of it. So it's a winning trade no matter what. And people also forget about that trade as you unloaded two contracts that were had more term on them with Patrick Berglund and Vladimir Sabotka. But this is, this is the state of the NHL. Like if you're going to make trades, you gotta you gotta be able to give up good prospects. This is why teams have not pulled the trigger on getting Jacob Chikrin from the Arizona Coyotes because they're worried about giving up young, talented prospects that could turn into being something for an uncertainty in a player who has been good in the league. And that's kind of what Ryan O'Reilly was because the narrative around Ryan O'Reilly when he was traded from Buffalo was, you know, this is a really good defending centerman. But he just hasn't been able to get it done, and he hasn't been around winning. And you make the trade. I mean, remember Ryan O'Reilly's comments of just losing the love of the game playing with Buffalo, and everyone's like, well, this guy needs to get out of here. So this was a win-win. Tage Thompson is going to have an incredible career, and Tage Thompson is going to be the center of that team moving forward. But still got a Stanley Cup out of it, which I don't think really matters. But if anything, it goes to show you and gives credit to how good the Blues scouting staff is in terms of recognizing talent late in the draft 
Yeah, it, it was a it was a good move for both teams. Yeah. And when you look back on it, I, I think one of the things that I also it brings to mind for me, given where the currently the blue stand is, trading franchise pieces can lead to a turnaround. Yeah. I mean, Tate Thompson is now a franchise caliber player for the Buffalo Sabres. And the Blues now are in a different spot than they were when they first acquired Ryan O'Reilly. And what I mean by that, and I hate saying it, but it's just the reality is they might get to the trade deadline and they also might have to trade Ryan O'Reilly to recoup some assets. Vladimir Tarasenko, you might have to trade him to get some assets in return. You look what happened last year with Philadelphia and they had to trade their version of Ryan O'Reilly. Alex and They've got, what, it's Owen Tippett mm-hmm. in return. He's been okay for them so far this year, but he's a super young kid, and he could be somebody that they end up building around. If this does not get turned around, it's not purely doom and gloom. There are ways that the Blues could get out of it quicker than you otherwise would expect. Yeah, and I think people, if you're going to hold anything in terms of optimism about this team, if they do have to head towards that direction, it's the fact that the amateur scouting staff does a very good job. Now, it's not led by Bill Armstrong anymore, who was with them all the way up until 2020, but it does have people who worked under Bill Armstrong that are in charge of it, and it's not just Tage Thompson. I mean, the Blues have been drafting in the middle of the draft for a really long time, go all the way back to when they found Vladimir Tarasenko and Jaden Schwartz, but they also found Robbie Fabry 21st overall. They found um, they found Jordan Cairo in the second round. Robert Thomas was 20th. They have a track record of finding really talented players late in the draft. So if they have to go this direction and trade players to get draft compensation and potentially are drafting in the top of the league, this might be really good for the Blues because they can they can recognize talent deep in the draft. Imagine what you can do when you have the opportunity to draft the most talented of a draft pool. And that at least provides me a lot of optimism for this team if they trend down that direction. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. The Blues back in action tonight against the Jets. Pre-game coverage with Alex and Joe starts at 6 o'clock. Puck drop for that one coming up at 7. And you can join in on the holiday spirit by listening to that game tonight and also supporting this year's 12 Days of T-shirts hosted by the Fastlane and 101 ESPN. When you donate at least $25 online now through this coming Monday, December the 12th. So you got about four days left. The it will support the Little Bit Foundation. You're going to receive a choice of either a Rivers or Thompson 101 ESPN jersey. In fact, you don't even have to choose. If you donate $50, so you donate 25 for one, 25 for the other, you can get both a Rivers and a Thompson 101 ESPN jersey as a gift for your donation. Make those donations right now over at 101ESPN.com. The 12 Days of T-shirts is powered by McBride Holmes, and it benefits the Little Bit Foundation. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101ESPN app is where you can find it. It is all presented 
by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Congratulations to Drew from St. Charles on my neighborhood for winning the five-game weekend pack for the Cardinals 2023 season. If you missed your chance to win today, be sure to give it us give us a listen tomorrow for your last chance to win a St. Louis Cardinals holiday ticket pack. You can also get a chance to win that later on today from the fast lane as well. All right, we finished today where we started today, and that is with the packages that were reportedly being asked for from the Oakland Athletics and the Toronto Blue Jays in return for their catching options. Sean Murphy was available from the A's. Alex, according to Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the A's were asking for Lars Newtbar, Brendan Donovan, and a power pitcher. He specifically named Gordon Graceffo as being somebody that would fit that bill. That was the asking price for Murphy. Newt, Donovan, Graceffo. For Jansen, the asking price was either Lars Newtbar or a package centered around Ryan Helsley. Now that we know what the packages were, I think it is easier to evaluate why they went the Wilson Contreras route, where all you had to give up was a second round pick and $500,000 in international signing. I prefer the route they decided to go. Now, that means that they couldn't get in on the um, shortstop market. And we're getting in on that anyway. Yeah, given what we see now from Xander Bogarts, I don't think that they would have ended up with that either way. It means that they're probably not going to get in on a Brandon Nimmo or one of those outfielders that we've been talking so much about. Again, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, given what we've seen from some of the other outfielders that have signed, specifically with a guy like Mitch Haniger, who got like $15 million over three years. I like the route they went. I think Wilson Contreras is a great fit. And if you go out there and add a little bit more pitching, I think this ended up being the ideal offseason, given what the market ended up being. I could have sucked it up for Sean Murphy. Because looking at it, yeah, that's a lot to give up, but you're getting a really good catcher in return and you got some years of control with it. Maybe you can go a different direction and sign more offense. I would have been livid if they would have traded one of those guys for Danny Jansen because I think that is way too much to give up for a above a little above average catcher for your team. And I think your offense suffers or your bullpen suffers because of that trade. And I'm not sure if you can offset the load that you were giving up to get a Danny Jansen. So I think this was the best way to go about it. I know people look at it and say, five years for Wilson. Who cares? Five years, you're going to get three really good years out of him in terms of being an everyday catcher for you. And then from there, you just hope the offense continues. You added a third bat, and I think you added a more reliable third bat than any of the other catchers you would have gone out there to try and trade for. And I'm not sold that they would have gone and gotten a shortstop that's not named Dansby Swanson if they would have acquired one of these catchers. So I'm happy with their offseason. I think you're still relying on a lot of hope and what ifs with your offense, but you got a really, really, really reliable bat. Now you've got a really, really good shortstop and a really, no. really, really reliable, reliable bat. Wrong. A very, very good oh, shortstop and a really, really, really good catcher. Yeah, I, I'm glad though that they didn't go the route with the train for the catcher. To me, that was too pricey for both those guys. And I know Murphy's a good catcher, and you could have spent money elsewhere. To, to me, it's too much for him. I, I don't think he's worth three legitimate – three guys with – Big-time team control, about five to six years. Each in Graceffo is a big-time starting pitcher for them in their minor league system that they really like. And then I wouldn't have done anything for Jansen, not the Lars Newbar. Maybe the Lars New. Ah, no, I wouldn't have done the Lars Newbar package. And I wouldn't have done the Helsley package for Jansen or, or Kirk if he was the guy that would have ended up being traded. I don't mind the Wilson Contreras deal. I think it fits them perfectly. They're not done yet. I, I think they still need. They still have to add, and I think it'll be in the bullpen. And I think I think that'll end up completing their off season. But I, I do like the route that they decided to go with Wilson Contreras. Yeah, I think this makes all the sense in the world. I think it was the smart route to go, and I think that it does though put a lot of pressure on the Cardinals' internal options. Their unwillingness to move specifically Lars Newtbar, 
they clearly believe in Lars Newtbar as being a piece to build around. Now, I don't know if that's right or not. I have no idea. I don't know how anybody could know. I do think that there are reasons to believe that it could work out really well for them. Like, I think Lars Newtbar's ceiling is a few-time All-Star. It's like 260 for you regularly. Gets on base at a really high clip. He can bat at the top of your order. He could bat towards the middle of your order. Or if you want him to, and if you've got an excellent like championship-level uh, lineup, maybe he bats like 6th or 7th for you. I think all of those are in play for what his future looks like, but he could be a 20-plus home run guy and gets on base really at a high clip, plays great defense for you in a corner, plays adequate defense for you in center, is super athletic with a great arm. Those players, especially when they hit left-handed, are unbelievably sought after right now in Major League Baseball. So I understand why the Cardinals would not let him go. The downside, though, and I'm sure there's some of this from from the text line right now, 65780, the downside is that he becomes a fourth outfielder. And if that ends up happening, you maybe look back on these deals that were available to you and Sean Murphy, who could be a franchise catcher that's a little bit younger and cheaper, and you say to yourself, "Mm, maybe we missed out. That's the downside, but... I don't think that you're going to regret it because at least you ended up going out there and getting a good alternative in Wilson Contreras. And the question with that, I guess, also resides on uh, Ivan Herrera. Does he become the franchise catcher that they're hoping he is now that he's got a little bit more time to focus on it rather than being pushed into that circumstance? Maybe you only needed three years from a catcher to get you to Ivan Herrera, and then from there you got a great bat to be a DH, and now you got your next future catcher. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up at the top of the hour, the fast lane's going to catch up with Matt Holiday. So looking forward to that coming up at 2. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. right here on 101 ESPN. BK had to take care of some uh, personal matters in the uh, in the restroom. that just couldn't wait until a commercial, commercial break. So uh, technically, he's going into the junk drawer. I sat on a toilet and nope. a black bear ate my anus. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.